This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from AllComic.com, episode 103. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lum Ramiyasha, and we've got a great show for you today, because not only do we got a ton of news, we've got not one, not two, but three new Manga Plus starts to talk about. TM. And... Yes, that is a term that we have invented and we have been using on the show, popularized on the show. It is our original term, do not steal, and OT as I'd like to call them. But yes, we're talking about Tis Time for Torture Princess, East into the Night, and The Vertical World. Three new series that have popped up on Manga Plus within the past month, and we've read them and we're going to talk about it. But first, we've also got a lot of news we got to talk about. But before we even get to that, we've got some house cleaning we need to sweep up and bring to you folks to know and show. Yeah, time to sweep this under the rug. Um, That sounds... That sounds. That makes it sound bad. Um, uh, we just have some. Uh, that is good stuff. It, it is good stuff. Um, so just just a few like short Patreon things I wanted to mention at the top of the show. Uh, one is that um, we wanted to shout out a new patron, Douglas, who has recently signed up for the Patreon. Um, admittedly, a little late on the shout out. I had meant to. Uh, kind of add it to one of our previously recorded episodes, but I just hadn't had the time. Um, so I figured this episode was as good a time as any to shout out uh, Douglas. Thank you for your support. And uh, thank you to anyone who is uh, still supporting us on Patreon. Again, that's at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. And uh, yeah, at the $2 tier, you will get our eternal thanks as well as a shout out on the show. So if you want to hear us uh, again, shout you out on the show. That's that's the tier you want to sign up for. Or if you want to sign up for our $5 tier, uh, you you not only get a shout out and our eternal thanks, but you also get a bonus podcast every month at the end of the month. Uh, and right now we are doing a uh, our, our first series of read throughs uh, here at the Manga Mavericks Book Club, where our good friend uh, Grant the Thief on Twitter and I uh, basically are going through the first arc of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure uh, Part 1 Phantom Blood. Uh, the first episode of that went up back in September. Uh, which is still free for anyone to listen to, just in case you kind of want a little taste of uh, of what we have to offer before signing up to listen to the rest on Patreon. Uh, episode 2 went up this past October 31st, just in time for Halloween, um, and is exclusively available for patrons, again, at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Um, as far as the next episode goes, uh, the third and final volume of that particular read-through uh, will be uploaded on our Patreon exclusively on November 30th. That is a Sunday. Uh, so if you are signed up at our $5 tier, you get exclusive access to that. And um, as far as what other read-throughs we kind of have in store, because trust me, we have a lot of ideas as to like what we want to cover through this side podcast. Uh, I, I have one or two ideas, but nothing finalized just yet. Um, you know, just, just kind of stay tuned, keep listening to the podcast, follow us, you know, wherever we are on social media, and we'll, we'll, we'll let you know, uh, when we have something a little more concrete, but trust me, we have a lot of really cool stuff coming, not only at the end of the year, but even at the beginning of the year, so stay tuned. Um, but now I think it is time to get on with the news, and we do, we do have some important updates on, um, 
on uh, Keo Annie in particular, Lum, if you want to take those away. Yes, there's been a lot going on with Keo Annie since we last reported on the story. Mainly, donations to Keo Annie are essentially closed in terms of what they're taking. As of September 13th, they have received over 3.1 billion yen, which translates to about $28.8 million dollars. That has been donated worldwide from fans and supporters to the studio to help them out in the aftermath of the horrible fire that happened in late July. And the donations are have been going through the government. They've been working with the government of Japan to, you know, alleviate the normal taxes that would be applied to such a large sum of money being going to KyoAni's company. So they've been working to make all the donations tax deductible for pretty much everyone and basically be distributed around tax-free. In a tweet in early October, Shinichi Iza, who is a member of the lower house of the National Diet, tweeted that none of the funds donated from around the world are going to go to Kyoani as a business for business restoration. Instead, as a company, Kyoani is going to rebuild on their own, but the money is going to be used uh, for the family of the deceased and the people that were injured in the attack to help alleviate their expenses and, you know, financial loss that they have incurred in the result of the tragedy. So the money is going to be used to help people directly, help the families of the people who were killed or were injured in the Kiwani fire. So it's good to see that a lot of financial support is going to go directly to people affected by it. And also we have an update on a lot of the people affected by the fire. 27 of the 33 staff members that were injured in the fire have returned to work as of October 18th, 2019. And it's going to be tough, like Hideaki Hata Kyoani, president, said a lot of people died, and so it's very tough mentally, and it's still very stressful, but the staff are all talking, they're supporting one each other, and... They've come back to work. They're ready to start work again. Kyoani is working with medical institutions to provide psychological care for their employees. And not a whole lot of people have retired after the incident. But it seems that a lot of people are being strong and returning to work and continue on the path to recovery. And Kyoani is just in general very grateful for all the support worldwide that has been coming to the studio. And of course, this has affected projects that QA has been working on. The Violet Evergarden film has been uh, delayed to after April 2020. Uh, we don't know what's going to be happening with the free film that we're going to release next year, but that'll also likely be delayed. But the road to recovery is happening at QAnnie, and it's still going to be. Uh, process. There are still people who are injured and hospitalized. There is still a lot to rebuild. And there is still a lot of people who are going to need time to recover. But time is marching forward. And the support people have shown to Annie has had an impact and is going to be put to great help for the people who have suffered as a result of the fire. 
And I just wish the best for the studio and for all the people working at the studio. And here's hoping to a brighter future for KyoAni in the aftermath of this tragedy. Really can't say that any better myself. I I totally agree. I I really wish all the best for KyoAni myself. And uh, yeah, it, it's it seem it seems like they are on a good road to recovery. So that's really good to hear. All right, but uh, I guess just to uh, again, me being so great with uh, transitioning out of more somber stories, uh, we're going to move on to uh, our next piece of news here, and uh, that is the monthly book scan list, uh, this time for September in particular. And um, so uh, there's just just a few things to kind of talk about with this list. First off, there's only six volumes of My Hero Academia on this list. Come on, My Hero Academia, pick up the pace. <laughs> <laughs> Granted, that's six out of the 11 manga volumes on this list and still a quarter of the top 20 graphic novels sold in September. So MHA is not slouching, but it is pretty refreshing to see actually more variety in the September bootscan list than we're normally used to seeing. There's a little less MHA, but there's a lot more of other stuff and some stuff that we haven't seen on the list before that is quite exciting. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, but I, I don't know, man. I, I, I expect My Hero Academia to fully take over this list at this point. Come on, My Hero Academia, give with... No, I'm just kidding. No, it's it's still a powerhouse. Um, well, this <laughs> is only the September list. The anime came back in October. I wouldn't be surprised if sales have once again spiked again. And when we report on the October list, it's going to be all My Hero Academia. <laughs> I mean, you're probably 100% right, honestly. Uh, but just to kind of go over what volumes are on the list real quickly. So uh, the newest volume, volume 21, ranked number two at the list. And um, I, I actually read through the, uh, through the through the article on ICV2, and it does note that this volume of My Hero Academia... Uh, was released on October 1st and uh, makes a note that this chart in particular only captures about four days of sales. So I'm guessing that means that the cutoff for uh, for sales of this list in particular, I guess, would be around like November, uh, November would be around October 4th, I'm assuming. Um, that's what I think is being implied here. Um, so if there's only four days worth of sales for this volume in particular on this list, I'm I'm assuming that means that this volume in particular has outsold pretty much everything else below it, which I think is insane. Basically, MHA is hot. New volumes sell like cakes, hot cakes. <laughs> huh. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then let's see. At, at uh, number four, we have volume one. At uh, number 10, we have volume 20. Number 11, we have volume two. Uh, at number 15, we have volume three, uh, with volume four at number 20 at the bottom of the list. So again, yeah, it's, it's interesting because from, from the looks of this list, it really seems like, you know, people are not only like keeping up with newer uh, releases of the series, but people are just constantly getting into the series like all the time. Like the first, the first three or four volumes seem to always be on this list, which I think is pretty amazing. It's it's basically the equivalent of like how Attack on Titan Volume One was on the New York Times bestselling list for I think like eighty weeks or something like that. Yeah, it was pretty insane. People are continually getting into My Hero Academia. Still, more and more people continue to discover it. 
So we have not reached the peak point where everyone is reading My Hero Academia. And until we reach that point, I think we're going to continue to see those early volumes continue to sell and sell and sell. Oh, for sure. Um, but just to kind of talk about the rest of the list, which uh, Lum is right, there, there's at least like some variety on this list, even though ironically, every single manga volume on this list is from Viz. Yeah, I mean, Viz is just the biggest comics publisher in the game right now in terms of their dominance over the marketplace. Oh, for sure. Um, at number eight on the list, we have volume six of Dragon Ball Super. I, I don't think I know at what point in the series that is. Is that is that Tournament of Power or? I think that's still the Goku Black arc. It might be just the very beginnings of the Tournament of Power. Mm, okay, okay. Yeah, I really need to get on Super at some point, but it's also like a kind of- The Moro arc has been very good. That's what I hear, but I, I'm also the kind of guy who like- really prefers to like wait until stuff ends and then I kind of get on it. That's just me though. Yeah, I don't know when the more arc will end. It seems like it'll continue for a while yet. But actually, correction, it is indeed the start of the universe survival arc, volume six. Yeah, that that's that's kind of that's what I thought. Um, and then at number nine, we have uh, Junji Ito's uh, Uzumaki, the hardcover edition. Um, I can only assume that uh, the announcement of this new anime miniseries movie, whatever you want to call it, coming to Adult Swim next year has really given given this work some hype. And uh, people are probably interested in checking out uh, checking out the manga before they catch the anime. Yeah, it was announced at Crunchyroll Expo in late August, so I think we can definitely point to that being a point where Uzumaki was getting talked about again. People went out to the stores and bought the book, and I think that's a huge factor in why we're seeing it on the September book scan list. And it's a perfect book also for people to buy ahead of the Halloween season in October. That's true, that's true. Um, we're, we're, get, we're at the point where Junji Ito is so popular... I, I will see people on my local uh, on my local metro buses on the way to work just holding copies of Uzumaki on the bus and reading it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I'm glad to see Junji Ito has become a household name among comics fans. Oh yeah, for sure. Um I think he I think they have like he has his own like line of merchandise at Hot Topic now. I saw in an ad which if you if you have merch at Hot Topic, you've made it essentially. <laughs> It's pretty much a sign you've gone mainstream. Pretty much. Um, I liked Junji Ito before he was cool. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, so just to continue, um, we have a really um, surprising but not surprising at the same time listing at number 13 for volume 8 of Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba. Yeah, Demon Slayer is also hitting it big now. We're now seeing fans of the anime turn to the manga and wanting to learn the rest of the story picking up those volumes so volume eight is the conclusion of the demon train arc beginning of the red light district arc it's a pivotal volume in the series no doubt a lot of people who finished the anime want to continue the manga bought volume seven and eight and eight in particular the newest volume at the time of this book scan list yeah, I definitely am very happy to see that Demon Slayer is selling really well now. And we'll see if 
Perhaps it will compete with MHA in future months for even more spots on the book scan list as more and more people continue to discover and read the series. I want to believe that Demon Slayer will maybe get to a point where like maybe it'll take up like at least two spots on the book scan list. I I don't think it'll take over half the book scan list like My Hero Academia has at this point, but I do expect it to see it a little more often now, now that people are done with the anime and they want to like they want to keep reading on from from the point where it ended. This also gives me hope that uh, Aniplex will actually bring out that sequel movie or whatever. I really need to see that. But uh, moving on from that, at number 14, we have Volume 7 of Splatoon. Uh, again, another video, uh, Nintendo video game manga that is uh, always popular, along with stuff such as uh, the Akira Himakawa Legend of Zelda manga uh, series, multiple series that are uh, out there and whatnot. And the Pokemon mangas we'll be talking about pretty soon here. That's right, that's right. Uh, the very last uh, new manga on this list is at number 16 with the first volume of The Way of the House Husband, uh, which, for those who don't know, is uh, is a series that uh, I'm, I'm going to say because of its, like, uh, its internet popularity that it got picked up from Viz um after it being tweeted out basically it's a, a little comedy slice of life about uh about a stay-at-home husband who used to be a part of the yakuza and his wacky hijinks and shenanigans basically going shopping but still you know acting like a yakuza boss or whatever um i haven't i still haven't gotten the chance to read it myself which i i'm really kicking myself for but like every time i see people post about it on the internet like it makes me want to read it more yeah, House Husband is great. It's really funny, really charming. And I wrote a review of it back in September for all-comic.com that you can go ahead and read. I really enjoy the series. It seems like it has a one-joke premise, but they keep twisting on it in just funny enough ways that it still manages to stay refreshing. And I'm very happy to see it sell very well in September and looking forward to more. Mm -hmm, for sure. Um, I guess my only thing is I, I, I wonder what its popularity will be like and whether... I'm wondering if its popularity will possibly wane after the first volume or so. Like, I'm wondering how how um how much they can keep up that momentum past its first volume well i think i saw recently on twitter the artist tweet out a special illustration celebrating a hundred chapters of the way of the house husband so wow. in japan at the very least the series has gone on for a while and has done quite well for itself and i think it will sustain perhaps in the u.s as well with u.s readers mm -hmm. that's good that's good yeah because uh, i guess one worry of mine was kind of that like this series in particular would basically have like it's 15 minutes of fame online and then it would kind of like fade out eventually um but uh i don't know it doesn't seem like that'll happen too soon anyway um but i guess we'll have to see as far as its place on the book scan list i'm not, i'm not entirely sure uh maybe we'll see it again but we'll just have to see um but overall yeah this this was actually a really interesting list uh, again uh what with uh, My Hero Academia's newest volume uh, selling so much in such a little time, and then you know just the just, just the different variety of titles that we had here, even though they're all from the same publisher, you know it's it's still interesting to see. No no volumes of like a One Punch Man or anything. No Comey, unfortunately. I'm I'm expecting Comey will come back at some point. Yeah, I think those are series that'll definitely bounce back into the list. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I think that's about it for that stuff. And uh, I think we should get on to some serialization news. And um, speaking of Pokemon earlier, we have a lot of Pokemon stuff that uh, that we need to talk about. Lum, if you want to go ahead and take that away. Indeed. So it was reported in early October that Kosaku Anakubo's Pocket Monsters gag manga would finally be ending after 23 years and of course longtime pokemon fans were skeptical of this because of how long the series has run and because you know the series has sort of trolled this before the premise of this manga in case you are not aware this is one of the oldest running pokemon manga it's been running in monthly korokoro comics since 1996 it's basically Again, a comedy that follows Red, and his main Pokemon in the series is Clefairy, who is like this very rude and crude asshole. And there's also Pikachu there, who's also kind of weird. All of the Pokemon in the series, they're very crazy, and it's a very crude manga full of toilet humor. It has never been officially translated into English. There are a few scanlated chapters floating around in the webs, but not it's not very popular in the west it's but it's been going on 23 years in japan wow but people were skeptical that this was actually ending uh in koro koro comics and it turns out that people were right to be skeptical because it ended in koro koro comics but it's going to be moving to Koro Koro Special and Koro Koro Anarchy. So essentially it's moved out of the main Koro Koro comics, but now it is running in a new another monthly magazine and then also a quarterly magazine. Basically, by not doing regular Koro Koro chapters anymore, uh Anakubo is basically cutting his workload in half. So he's he's sixty-two years old, so he's going to be slowing down a little bit but the series is not ending it's speculated that the reason that koro koro comics uh decided to move the manga outside the magazine is because there's also another pokemon series with the same title pocket monsters that's going to be debuting in koro koro comics which is going to be drawn by Machito Gomi who did the Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution and Mewtwo Lives manga adaptations earlier in the year and that will be a monthly series and no one really knows what it is going to be about just yet where it'll be retellings of the show or it'll be its own thing but it'll be out by the time you're listening to this because it will have debuted on the issue of Koro Koro Comics that has come out on November 15th so surely by the time you're listening to this you everyone will all know then what this manga actually is but Basically, Koro Koro Comics in their main magazine has swapped out one Pocket Monsters manga for another. But the one they've swapped out is not ending. It's just going to be in a different magazine now. And in addition to that, of course, the other long-running Pokemon manga, the one that is most well-known here in the U.S. and is actually available to read in pretty much in its entirety, is the Pokemon Adventures manga. And the Sun and Moon chapter of the Pokemon Adventures manga, the 14th arc of the series, will be ending in the January 2020 issue of monthly Korokoro Ichiban on November 21st. And it has been revealed that Pocket Monster Special Sword and Shield, the next arc, is going to begin in the magazine on the same day. 
It will have a volume zero as well that will be 202 pages long. So there are ending the arc and starting the new one pretty much immediately. So going to be very curious to see like how they handle Sword and Shield, what their take on that arc is going to be. I need to get caught back up on the Sun and Moon chapter, but I really like what they read of it. But yes, Pokemon Adventures continues to go on, and I am looking forward to continue to read it. But in terms of other new manga that I'm looking forward to read, though in this case I'm going to be a little bit disheartened to read, is that Nagata Kabi has penned a new autobiographical manga about her recent hospitalization due to pancreatitis and fatty litter from her drinking habit. And so this story is going to be published by East Press and it's called A Story of Me Trying to Escape from Reality Just to Be Worn Out. It's already come out in Japan, but it is basically going to recount Nagata's experiences frequenting a local pub in order to escape reality and then how her mental health worsened and she began leading on alcohol until she became hospitalized. And it notes uh, that she wrote the story to contextualize her breakdown after attempting to escape reality after being asked by her father during her hospitalization if she was also going to turn this into a story and her initially deciding not to write about it. So I hope that Seven Seas will pick this up since Lesbian Experience and Solo Extreme Jari did well for them and Nagata Kabi has a lot of fans in uh, the West that care about her and are concerned for her and want to continue learning about her story. So this, I'm sure, is going to be another very rough read, very heartbreaking read, but... I also look forward to reading it and seeing what happened to Kabi and hopefully it ends on a hopeful note and hopefully Kabi begins a path to recovery. This story reminds me of another manga that we will be talking about later in the show, uh, Disappearance Diary by Hideo Asuma. And so hopefully it will have a hopeful ending, or at least she has an optimistic perspective about the future. Mm-hmm. Please, Kabi Nagata, please, uh, please get well. We, we're wishing the best. Yes, but that's a lot of new stuff that's coming. But there are things that are concluding or in our celebrating the conclusion. Bloom Into You ended in monthly comic Dengeki Dayo earlier this September. And in that same issue where it ended, it made a lot of curtain call announcements for the franchise, which includes an eight, the eight and final volume coming out on November 28th, an art book, a short story collection by Nakatani, the author, a second manga anthology, a third volume of Hitoma Iruma's Bloom Into You on Sayaka Seiki spinoff novel series, and line stamps based on the manga and an encore performance of the stage play adaptation coming in fall 2020. So Bloomin' to You fans have a lot more to look forward to, even though the series has now concluded. I'm certainly looking forward to reading more of the Sayaka Sayeki novel series, for sure. And in addition to that, there is some other series that are approaching their ending. Kaito's Blue Flag is approaching the climax. It's almost towards the end now. 
It was basically announced on the most recent issue of Weekly Shonen Jump. We don't quite know when the final chapter will be, but if you've been reading the series, you know that things have been kind of wrapping up in terms of character, relationships, and closure. And I am going to be very curious on what note the series will end, though basically based on the past few chapters, it'll probably be a very cathartic and uplifting ending for everyone now that they've kind of worked out their, you know, frustrations and secrets. But in addition to that, also something that seemed pretty obvious if you have been reading the series is that Haikyuu is entering its final arc. Basically, not to spoil anything, but something big happened at the end of the most recent match in the series. And there's been a time skip, and now we're in a new place. And it seems that Furudate is going to be doing that Olympics arc he's been wanting to do for a while. It's the final arc of the series. So that's basically what's happening. And again, even though this is the final arc, who knows how long this will run. This could be four years long when bleach announced it was entering its final arc it that final arc took four years and considering that haikyuu is still incredibly popular and there's still plenty of story left to tell even if this is the final chapter of the series for certain i think that haikyuu still has a light lot of life left in it yet and I think it'll continue to run for a couple more years. And I'm going to be interested to see the new direction the series has been taking and how it will ultimately conclude and how Hanata and Kageyama's journeys will ultimately conclude. But in addition to that, there's more manga that are ending with more an immediate certainty because Silver Spoon has finally recently Come back to Shonen Sunday, and it has been confirmed that it'll be ending in four chapters, or rather, since it has already returned three chapters from the time you're listening to this. Slight correction on Lum's part here. So, actually, by the time this episode comes out, there should only be two chapters left. Since the magazine is counting its returning chapter amongst those four, um, that's just kind of usually the case with... Uh, with these magazines and whenever they announce this many chapters left, uh, whenever they do those kinds of announcements, they are counting the chapter that is included in whatever issue of whatever magazine is making that kind of announcement. But the fact remains that Silver Spoon is ending, and if our math is correct, assuming that Shonen Sunday doesn't take a break before then, uh, Silver Spoon should actually be ending on uh, November 26th. That is a Tuesday. That's when uh, Shonen Sunday usually comes out. But uh, yeah, back to the show. The final chapters will be compiled in the 15th volume, which will come out, no doubt, a few months afterwards. And actually, again, Press has already set a release date for an English release of the 15th volume in June of 2020 next year. So Silver Spoon is finally coming to an end after almost nine years, after many hiatuses. And... I'm looking forward to seeing how Hachiken's story concludes, for sure. Oh, wow. See, that that's really good to hear because um, I remember I was keeping up with Silver Spoon um, through the scans uh, week to week. And um, and man, I, I really, really enjoyed what I read. And uh, I was kind of sad when I first saw it, you know, go on hiatus because I because it was it was basically in the middle of this sort of final arc. And um, I saw that it kept going on hiatus, and I, I basically just kind of stopped reading it for a while because I knew it was going to end at some point. So I was like, oh, I'll, I'll come back to this when this is over. And now that it's over, 
I, I might pick that back up again. <laughs> maybe maybe just start from the beginning because it's it's been a while since I've read Silver Spoon, but I do remember like absolutely loving it. Yeah, and recently Yen Press has made Silver Spoon available digitally. The first ten volumes Whoa, are what, really finally added digitally. Yes, uh, as of pretty much today, they have put it up digitally. So that's pretty cool. Oh shit! Uh, makes the series even more accessible. And there's only a few more volumes left to go, and it seems that Yen Press will not be slowing down their by monthly release pattern and the 15th volume will come out very shortly after the 14th volume and next summer so oh man i gotta get on that oh man that's that's really good to hear um you, you could you could tell i'm just now finding out about this news um are you sincerely just finding out about this news? yeah i did i didn't know about this because that was oh. that was like the, that that was the reason i've been kind of holding off on it was because i'm I, I don't buy a lot of manga physically anymore just because i i don't have a lot of space so it's like i really wanted to get silver spoon but i i just don't know how i like i don't i don't have any space on my bookshelf i need to get another bookshelf um so to hear that it's coming out digitally yeah this will this will make things a lot easier for me like cuz i i've been wanting to support it and and uh, now i have an easier way to do that so yeah mm mm-hmm. mhm um, but no, yeah, we'll definitely leave a link, uh, to where you could buy Silver Spoon digitally in the show notes for sure. Yeah, uh, correction, it was announced it's coming out digitally, uh, today, but it won't come out digitally until December 17th, so. Okay. In a couple more weeks, but it is going to be available digitally. Okay, cool, that's breaking news! Um, that's really good to hear. Um, I can't wait to get back on Silver Spoon, now you got me excited. Um, Okay, so um, just to kind of take over the next couple pieces of news here, we still got some more manga ending, um, and uh, it's kind of funny how we were talking about Haikyuu earlier and uh, how when uh, when a big jump series usually announces that it's in its final arc, you know, that final arc can feasibly go on for multiple years. Um, but we don't really have that problem with this next year with this uh, next piece of news. So. Um, Makoto Yukimura, you may know as the creator of, uh, currently, uh, I'm going to assume popular anime of the season, uh, Vinland Saga. People have been responding to it very positively, I think. Uh, it probably would be even more discussed and talked about if it wasn't on Amazon. Or at the very least if Amazon would promote it, but that's well, neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so Yukimura basically posted on his Twitter and announced that uh, he has started drawing the fourth and final arc of Vinland Saga. In his tweet in particular, he basically stated that uh, the overall Vinland Saga manga is divided into four parts. The first three parts include the War Arc, the Slave Arc, and the Eastern Expedition Arc. And that Yukimura has said that uh, the final arc will be more than 50 chapters long with more than 1,000 pages and will take, quote unquote, several years. I mean, that sounds about right. 50 chapters on a monthly schedule is over four more years. When Linsaga chapters are at least 30 to 50 pages from my recollection. So the mat checks out. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure like... You know, even with that window of time, I'm sure like things could maybe change possibly. Um, but uh, it's it's nice to see that when when the final arc of a popular manga gets announced, that uh, 
that uh, that the creator, artist, whatever you want to call them, uh, has has a at least an an idea of a plan behind uh, behind the final arc, and like a, it's it's nice to have a timetable sometimes. Yeah, it sounds like this final arc will run about as long as the Eastern Expedition arc, which is also about fifty chapters long. So that makes sense that he's divided the series up into these four distinct quadrants. I stopped uh, following. The scans of Woodland Saga for its many years ago. So I'm in the... I left off like in the middle of the War of the Baltic, as it's called, which is like 36 chapters long. But this series continues to be published by uh, Kodansha USA. So I think with the next volume that they're going to be releasing on November 19th, that will be chapters that I have not read yet. So... I'll be continuing to follow the series, and I'm looking forward to seeing how the series progresses as it enters its final arc. I know that there was a time skip recently, so that makes sense why that is now that we know that he's planning for the end. So very, very cool to hear. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Vinland Saga is definitely on my list. Uh, I need to get on it considering I have... uh, I have however many volumes through uh, one of uh, Kodansha's Humble Bundles, which I think is uh, pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, uh, definitely on my list. I'll get to it at some point. It's definitely high up there. But uh, moving on to our next series ending, or so it was uh, It was announced a couple weeks back in the 46th issue of Kodansha's Morning Magazine uh, that uh, Natsumi Eguchi's uh, Hoseki's cool-headedness, or as some people may know it as Hoseki no Reitetsu, uh, will be ending in five chapters. But obviously, at the time we're recording this, um, you know, if I if I did my math correctly, because uh, Kodansha's Morning Magazine is a weekly magazine, and uh, assuming, um, and I and I guess it's also worth mentioning that uh, in that issue, uh, the series ran its two hundred and sixty seventh chapter. So assuming that these five chapters include that chapter in that issue of the magazine, by the time this episode comes out, uh, either the final chapter will will be just coming out or we will have already missed it. Um, that depends on if the magazine like takes a break or whatever, accounting for different factors. Um, but either way, we, we will probably have just missed it. Hosuki is something that I've only really seen the anime of. Um, I really, I really enjoyed the first season. I need to get on the second season of that. Um, what makes me really sad, though, uh, n- not just the fact that it's ending, but the fact that uh, it seems like Kodansha has just kind of given up on releasing new volumes of it, considering uh, the fourth, th- the last volume that they released digitally was volume four. And uh, according to Bookwalker, uh, that was released on February 6th, 2018. So it's been over a year. Um, yeah, which is also wow. interesting because uh, I did a little more digging, and Kodansha actually gave a statement to Anime News Network about how because um, when they were when they were coming out with these uh, digital only titles, you know, with stuff like Hozuki and like Ace of the Diamond and everything, when they were coming out with their first round of digital first titles, you know, they mentioned that they were basically picking these up and aiming to complete the series. So I don't know if, like, Hozuki just has not made any money for them so much that, like, they just kind of gave up on it or, like, maybe their plans have changed. I don't know. It, 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 it makes me sad that uh, 
we're possibly not going to get any more of that series in English at this point. Um, or maybe there, maybe there are factors behind the scenes that we're just not aware of. I don't know, but it would, it would be nice to get some kind of update from Kadansha about that series in particular. Mm-hmm. There seem to be a few series that they've been releasing digital that have fallen through the cracks and not have had a consistent update in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know for a bit, I saw some people kind of worried about them still releasing Ace of the Diamond, I think. Uh, it took a little bit for them to release another volume of that. And uh, even with stuff like Chihaya Furu, um, I, I recently actually just bought whatever was available uh, up to volume 17. And volume 17, I mean, I'm sure they'll release an, like, I, I th- I'm sure they'll release another volume of that series, considering, you know, there's a third, there's another season of the anime out, and I'm sure people will be interested in buying more of the manga because of it. But, you know, volume 17 came out in June. So it's been a couple months since then. So yeah, I'm I'm not really sure what the release schedule for that series is like, but I I would put money down that they're going to release another volume of that before they do pose a key, unfortunately. So yeah, but uh, I don't know. M- maybe maybe something will come out, but I'm I'm not going to hold my breath. But you know what? At the very least, maybe we can hope for another season of the anime or something. I, I would like to watch more Hosaki at some point. But I guess in terms of. Uh, Serialization news. We only have one more th- quick thing to cover, and that is uh, Arata Primal, uh, which is a Jump Plus series that you can read uh, for free in English on Manga Plus, uh, has come to its conclusion uh, just recently with its 35th and final chapter, which, uh, man, that I really need to get back on reading that. I'm a little behind on Arata Primal, but... From from what I remember of reading it, I, I I thought it was really interesting. Like per personally, like I mentioned on an earlier episode of the podcast, I'm a big fan of like survival type stories in general. Um, Lama, have you kept up with the Rada Primal at all, or are you behind as well? No, I don't think I read beyond when we covered the series for our Manga Plus episode. From what I've heard, based on people who have kept up with it, this ending has kind of come out out of nowhere. Uh, people weren't really expecting it to end so soon, so... Mm, I wonder if it uh, probably got axed then, maybe. Yeah, it's surprising. Just in terms of Manga Plus popularity, it's ranked number 15, so at the very least on Manga Plus, it had a readership, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, we, we need to check and see, like... I'm, I'm sure, like, maybe somebody like Maxi would probably know better than us than... Uh, as far as like what its popularity is like on the actual Jump Plus app, maybe. But uh, I don't know. Um, I, I guess it also depends on how well the series was like selling in terms of like its actual volume releases. Uh, that's something we need. We should probably look up at some point. But uh, yeah, no, I, I had a feeling maybe it was because it got axed. But like, obviously, I'm not caught up with it. So I, I can't really comment on like the story beats or anything. But uh yeah, that's a shame that it ended so prematurely. I was actually really enjoying it, but I don't know. Maybe once I catch up to it, I'll uh, m- maybe maybe the series jumped the shark. I have no idea. Um, hopefully, I can like finish it up before the end of the year. Maybe in time for our best of manga episode. That'd be nice. Um, but uh, yeah, that's really about it for serialization news. And then um, I think from there we will move on to our licensing news. But before we get into any of our actual, like, actual licensing news, uh, I just want to mention a few things that have come to the Shonen Jump app uh, since the last time we recorded. So uh, one of the first things that came, I think, in chronological order, the first 37 chapters 
of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 4, Diamond is Unbreakable. That is right. Well, actually, now they recently updated oh, it oh. with the next volume of content. So now you can read the first 56, which oh, ends wow. uh, right in the middle of the introduction of Rohan. Oh, wow. Okay, so there you go. You can read the first 56 chapters of Part 4 right now for only $2 on the Shona Jump app. I mean, unless you want to buy the physical releases of those, which I have at least like the first volume of that. I need to start buying more of those. It's, um, I really appreciate even with the rest of JoJo's not having a Jojonium release over in Japan that this is still going out of its way to keep up a hardcover release of the series. It really deserves it. It's, it's such a nice release. Um, but yeah, no, uh, definitely go check that out. We also have, uh, kind of a new series from, uh, from Show to Jump, a Dr. Stone spinoff about, uh, Senku's father, whose name I believe is Byakuya. I think I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> um, which, um, I have, I have not read just yet. I, I need to get to that this weekend. It's basically a retelling of the Byakuya flashback from the series it's not that different outside of expanding on a few technical details and there's a robot companion now um so far would you say it's worth checking out i mean so far it's been kind of the same information from the series Mm -hmm. not a whole lot more is learned but we'll see in the future if they really expand on it and add details that will be valuable to know for the main story. Like right now, it's like a lot of technical stuff, like how they got back into the planet from space and all that stuff. So it's like just filling in more details, but it's not necessarily a ton of new information you needed to know. Mm-hmm. I, I believe I saw Retro Inagaki mentioned somewhere that uh, that this spinoff wasn't entirely necessary uh, necessary to keep up with for like uh, for Doctor Stone fans. Like you you could kind of read it on its own. Um, that, that's what I thought I saw anyway. This may very well be just a compilation of all the stories that we got from Byakuya in the main series itself all the different flashbacks we've got back to him and him laying the groundwork for things Senku could discover and use in the future mm-hmm yeah okay that doesn't that's not as interesting as I thought it was gonna be unfortunately um I don't know like I'd still be willing to like check it out but I think um because I also thought I saw somewhere that this was uh, this was this is going to end up being about nine chapters or so. This is this is going to be a miniseries for sure. It's not going to run that long. Um, so there is a set end uh, for this thing. So I I might just wait until maybe it's over to read it. Maybe um, or m- maybe maybe just in time to hopefully cover Doctor Stone next year on the podcast. Possibly maybe. Yeah, you never know. Whichever comes first. But uh, last small little thing that uh, they recently added on the Shoto Jump app is the uh, Shokugeki no Sanji uh, One Piece spinoff one-shot thing uh, that we had uh, previously covered on the podcast about a year ago, I believe. Um, but basically, it's a, it's a little One Piece spinoff chapter drawn by the artist of Food Wars, who I'm totally blanking on in the name of. Yuto Sakura. Thank you. Um, and so, yeah, you know, if, if you missed your chance to uh, to read that one shot when it was running in the Viz uh, Weekly Show to Jump, and you don't have those issues, um, you can now read it on the app, which I think is pretty cool. Um, I believe uh, an interview with uh, Sukuda from Show to Jump, 
was also posted online along with that, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting, just basically talking about his time in America, trying out different food, and uh, just kind of like casually mentioning that there uh, that apparently there is interest in turning this one shot into an anime, <laughs> which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, we'll see if anything comes out of that. Uh, correction, Yujo Sakura is the writer, the illustrator Shinsaiki. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and so, yeah, um, if you're interested in reading any of these new editions, uh, they're on the Shonen Jump app. Again, it's only $2 a month to read all of this stuff, which I think is very, very much worth it. Uh, we'll leave a link to a lot of the stuff in the show notes. But that's it for our Shonen Jump corner. Yeah, hopefully they add more of the one-shots that they ran in the old magazine to the vault, like Burn the Witch and Inishi no Hori Borimon. Maybe Tokidoki. Tokidoki, yeah. All the Komi ones would be great. Build King yeah, would be a good Build one. King. Yeah, um, yeah we'll, we'll have to see. I, I've, I've been gunning for them to... To put up more one shots, more new one shots specifically. But even if we got like older one shots, like it'd be nice to still have those available for people to read because I think most of those are pretty worth checking out. So, mm-hmm. but uh, in terms of actual licensing news, we got a big one to cover. Lum, if you want to go ahead and take it away. Yeah, Comixology has teamed up with Kodansha Comics to basically license Rescue the Drops of God and release the entirety of it digitally. So. They have already released Volumes 1 through 8 re-edited with new cover art, and they're going to be debuting, well, they've already debuted Volumes 9 to 11 as well, and they're going to be adding even more volumes at a later date. Previously, only 10 of the series' 44 volumes were published in English by Vertical, and they released it in kind of like a on this format, two volumes per volume. There was like four volumes of Drops to God, that they release, and then there was Drops of God American edition with some sort of uh, Drops of God New World, I think. There was one volume of that, but that's where they ended it. And so this is the first time they're going to be making an effort to release the entirety of this series over here digitally. And that's pretty cool. Like, there's a very popular wine-tasting manga. I read the first volume of it way back in the day. Enjoyed it quite a lot. And now fans over here are going to have a chance to read the entire thing in English over the course of the next couple months or so as Kodansha continues to translate it and upload it to Comixology. Oh, man. Look, you know, between, between Drops of God, Initial D, uh, and the entirety of Beck, like... Comixology Unlimited is looking more and more worth it by, by the day, quite honestly. Um, I remember, I think, um, I think we, we reported on, uh, reported on Comixology Unlimited when that was first starting up. And, um, you know, I don't think I remember being too super interested in it at first because it's like, I, I know when you sign up for it, you, you, you get access to a lot of full runs of different series, but in terms of like manga, I don't think there was really anything I was super interested in reading. Um, but man, Kodansha is really putting up a lot of or like, or I guess uh, Comixology and Kodansha are putting up a lot of stuff that I honestly have been really wanting to read for a while. So yeah, might have to might have to take advantage of this at some point. Maybe maybe talk about a few of these titles on the show at some point. Yeah, I know Drops of God in particular has been something I've been very interested in, especially since I know like the the existence and popularity of the series have driven wine sales of particular brands in like Japan, which is kind of amazing. 
Yeah, it's quite influential and popular. Mm -hmm. The power of manga. Indeed. Could make anything popular. But uh, moving on from that, we're not going to go over every single title because it's basically just a list of titles and we don't have a lot of info on any of them, unfortunately. But we did think it was worth mentioning that uh, Futakia, which we've mentioned on the show, is a basically a boys love a manga library slash blog where if you pay, I want to say it's about, yes, uh, $6.99 a month, uh, and you have access to a variety of different BL manga, um, Futakia in particular is going to be putting up 22 more new titles on their subscription service uh, coming early 2020, uh, which, uh, you know, if you're a fan of BL manga and you're looking for something new to read, um, from from what I could tell, Futakia has a quite the robust, like, catalog already they have a lot of stuff on there and uh hopefully i will get a subscription to this in the, in the coming months and we can maybe do an episode of the podcast about it i would i would like to talk about futakia on the podcast and maybe have uh, emma on to talk since uh i know she listens to the podcast so uh shout out to emma if you're listening mm-hmm. yeah that'd be a lot of fun mm-hmm. we'll definitely leave a link to futakia for anybody who's interested in signing up for that in the show notes but for now lum we have another tidal wave. Oh no, of seven seas to talk about. Oh no. Yeah, it's crashing down us. We're drowning in new manga and novels. It's going to be hard to swim our way up, fight the current, and keep afloat. But we will do so one breath, one step at a time. And we're going to start off here with some first batch of stuff they announced, which includes Love on the Other Side, a Nagabe short story collection, which is a manga anthology by the artist Nagabe. And they've also got Tsuchise Yasuhachi and Yuki Hagare's The Invincible Shovel Light Novel series, plus Yuriko Akaze's Sazan and Comic Girl manga, and Shiromata's My Senpai is Annoying. The first volume of Love on the Other Side is going to come out, both digital and print, on June 16th. It's a anthology series that's basically looking at love and how it comes in many different forms, like a bird comforting a struggling girl, a vampire waltzing with a young lady at night, and a blind girl that lives with a monster where there is more that meets the eye. There are six stories in this manga collection by Nagabe, and it's perfect for fans of fascinating relationships that refuse to be confined, and if you are a fan of Nagabe's previous best-selling works, The Girl from the Other Side and The Wise Wise Beasts of the Wizarding Kingdoms, it's definitely worth checking out. Mm, Girl from the Other Side and Nagabe's works in particular are something I'm definitely very interested in reading. It just, I, I, I love like the very, I don't know what you would call it, like the very like fairy tale book esque kind of like art style that that the manga kind of has um i i think um the gr- uh girl from the other side also recently uh, uh, like maybe a month ago at this point i think uh had a uh had an animated little short that came with one of the more recent manga volumes and i thought that was really cool so uh it really anything from nagabe is definitely on my list i definitely need to check uh, their stuff out and all their works are available from seven seas 
But Seven Seas is also releasing the Invincible Shovel digitally and in print on May 19th. It is about the strongest miner in the world, Alan, who is able to reduce mountains to rubble with a swing of his trusty shovel. And the princess, Letita, begs him to escort her on a quest to save her kingdom from an invading demon force. And he agrees to help her on the condition that she helps him find a successor to train. So it is a hilarious fantasy tale for fans of RPGs. And evil will not stand a chance against the mighty power of the shovel. He will bury the evildoers <laughs> with the shovel. Huh. You know, if I had a shovel, I don't... I don't know. Like, sh- shovel seems like the kind of thing to me that you don't really need magical powers. You can just kind of... Just kind of hit people with it. I'm sure being hit with a shovel is very painful. I wouldn't know. And um, deadly. And deadly. Indeed. Oh, boy. I mean, it's a very useful tool. You can use it to kill someone and to bury the body. <laughs> it's dual purpose. Um, exactly. This this sounds fun. Indeed. What also sounds fun is Akaze's Sazan and Comic Girls manga which is coming in a two-in-one omnibus volume on may 26th it is about a young man from earth called sazan who works on other planets and has seen his share of galactic oddities but he meets mina a red-headed girl who zooms into his life on a space shooter and upon seeing her he knows he's run into someone special and Mina contains shocking power within her body a power coveted by space pirates who want to steal it from her and so she zooms of Cezanne's life almost as quickly as she arrived, but Cezanne is determined to find her again, no matter how far he has to chase her across the galaxy. It's a full-color manga that is a homage to energetic space operas of years past and contained entirely in a 500-page omnibus, and it was nominated for the Manga Taisho Award of Japan. And definitely, this definitely seems like a throwback to 80s sci-fi space fair and stuff. I'm getting a very... A Kemi Takata-esque vibe from these character designs and this aesthetic. And yeah, this looks very much up my alley. Mm-hmm. I got a very like, and I don't know much about this series in particular, but I, I got a very like dirty pair vibe from the yeah, art almost. Yeah, the girl kind of feels like she'd be at home in that series. Maybe maybe like a, a combination of like dirty pair and like gunbuster almost. Yeah. Again, 80s space adventure stuff. Mm-hmm. But also, again, another full color manga 17 is releasing is Manta's My Sempa is Annoying, which is going to come out on May 5th, about a hardworking young office lady called Igarashi and her senpai Takeda, who is above her at work, annoys her constantly, but she finds herself growing closer to him, and every day is filled with comic mishaps and romantic moments as Igarashi tries to balance work, life, and love. And this originally was a webcomic that became a full-fledged manga, and Seven Seas says that it is sure to charm audiences who love workplace comedies like Agoretsuko and The Office. Interesting um, recommendation there. I feel like uh, Gretzko in the office, the main similarity those two share are frustration at the inefficiencies and mundanity of office life and dealing with terrible co-workers and bosses. So it does seem like it would appeal to those. So it seems like eventually, as frustrated as Igarashi is with her senpai, eventually they are going to form a 
good relationship, so it seems that she won't be quite as stressed out as people in those other two series. Mm, I was I was going to say, is this before I got too far into the synopsis for the series? I was thinking, is this is this just Pam and Michael the manga? Like, <laughs> <laughs> huh. but I'm, I'm sure this relationship is just slightly more wholesome, probably. Yeah, hopefully Takeda does not cross as many lines as Michael. <laughs> oh boy. Um th- this first batch is really strong, honestly. Like a lot of these I like I think I would check out all of these. Yes, but Seven Seas wasn't done there. Mm, far there from was it. Even more that they announced. I'm still drowning. Yeah. And the next batch starts off with Satoshi Shiki's The Legend of Dororo and Hiyakimaru, which is a remake of Osama Tezuka's Dororo manga. And the first one of that's going to come out, digital and print, on June 9th. And it is essentially just a remake of the classic Osama Tezuka story about Hiyakimaru, who, you know, has to go around and recover all his limbs and organs to become, like, fully whole again. And then he teams up with Dororo, who is a young thief. And so they go and steal the demons to recover his stolen pieces of his body. And so this seems like it'll follow more in line with the 2019 anime remake. But this is... Definitely something to look forward to if you're a fan of the Dororo story. And it's going to be drawn by Toshiki, who is the artist of Attack on Titan Before the Fall, which I like even better than the uh, main Attack on Titan series. So very much looking forward to seeing this develop. Hmm. Yeah, seems interesting. A series that I'm really excited for because I've seen it talked about consistently on Twitter especially by Ashley Unica, who has really praised the series, is Konayama's Love Me For What I Am, which is coming out on June 9th. And it is about a cute but lonely high school student called Mogomo, who just wants a few loving friends. And they are invited to work at a family cafe for cross-dressing boys, but their friend makes an incorrect assumption because Mogomo is non-binary and doesn't identify as a boy or a girl. But Mogomo finds out that the cafe is run by LGBT plus folks of all stripes, all with their own reasons for congregating there. And so this is a touching manga that explores gender, gender presentation, and sexuality from many different angles, including the ways people are pushed to conform in a world that doesn't understand them until the world begins to learn one person at a time. So I've seen the series talked very highly, and everything I've seen about it sounds very much like my alley and very, very good exploration of gender identity and presentation. So I am very excited for this series. Do do you ever just look at something... And just kind of know, like, yeah, this is gonna make me cry. I'm getting, I'm getting those vibes from this series. I think it'll definitely hit you in the feels, especially if you are an LGBTQ plus person who has uh, had experiences struggling with uh, their identity coming out and grappling with emotions. And I think, based on what I have seen uh, from people talking about it, it very much will hit you in the feels. And I do think the cover illustration is absolutely perfect with uh, Mogomo holding a glass full of cookies shaped like uh, gender signifiers, male and female, and those being scattered uh, around them as well. I think that is a really striking illustration that kind of captures that, yes, this is a series that is going to be exploring 
ideas of gender. And very notably, a symbol for non-binary people, a white uh, cookie, is in Mogomo's mouth. So very pointed right there what the series is going to be about. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I didn't even realize that. That's uh, The cover is already saying a lot, I think, uh, which I think is pretty cool. Um, definitely check this out. Really great cover. But Seven Seas is also going to be releasing Makeup is Not Just Magic, a manga guide to cosmetics and skincare, which is a makeup tutorial manga, and that's going to come out on May 26th, and it is about a young woman who feels intimidated by the world of makeup, but she is in luck because a glam friend is willing to walk us through it. So these two women are exploring the fundamentals of makeup, and it's going to help you develop your own signature style. So this is a perfect how-to book for fans of makeup tutorials online, and perhaps even I will learn some cool tips from this manga. I think this could be very helpful for manga fans who want to learn more about makeup. I definitely have quite a few friends who would be interested in this, for sure. But... We're not done yet. We have to come up for Rhett again and then dive back in to tackle this last batch Oh god, of another, licenses. another wave! <laughs> Indeed, but I think what will keep us afloat is our enthusiasm for the fact that Seven Seas is releasing some new Kuniku Ikuhara-related titles, including Kuniku Ikuhara and Kei Takahashi's Penguin Drum novels. And Ikuhara and Misaki Saito's Sarazanmai Ryo and Mabu prequel manga to the Sarazanmai series. And in addition to that, they are also uh, releasing Yoru Sumino and Udumi Kirihara's I Had That Same Dream Again novel and manga. And they are also releasing Kumanamo's O29 and Sergei's Kuma 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 Bear light novel and manga series. And so... The Penguin Drum novel is going to come out on May 19, 2020, and of course, this follows a series of two twins who live with their terminally ill sister, and one day at an aquarium, their sister falls ill and dies, but upon wearing a penguin hat, their sister comes back to life, and all sorts of craziness happens from there. And so, if you're a fan of Penguin Drum in both its anime and manga forms, this light novel series is definitely worth checking out. But also, the Sarazanmai Reo Mabu manga is, of course, a spin-off manga of Sarazanmai. That's coming out on May 12, 2020. Of course, about Reo Mabu, the caps in Sarazanmai, who are also agents of a certain empire. And they are surprised to find a baby lying on a plate in the street. And they take her in as they search for her parents. But there's bizarre lives keep leading them in wild directions and this baby who they named sarah has supernatural powers as well and so these two men are starting to love her as if she were their own so very wholesome story about these two characters raising a child together and that's coming out on may 12 and of course uh sumino i had that same dream again that novel is coming out on may 26th and the manga adaptation by Kirihara. It's going to come out in a single omnibus volume on July 7th. And this is about an unhappy girl who engages in self-harm, a high schooler ostracized by her classmates, and an old woman looking to live out her twilight years in peace. These three people are all very different, but they have something in common. What is that? And that's what the grade schooler Nanoka Koyanagi is trying to find out when they are assigned by her teacher to define what happiness means to her and she tries to find her place in the world by exploring her relationships with these three strangers and through them comes to know herself 
And this, of course, is written by the same author of I Want to Eat Your Pancreas, which I really like. I really like that story. Uh, we had an at movies review of the anime adaptation recently that you can check out. And I'm looking forward to reading this novel. And perhaps this will be adapted into a film as well. But finally, the last announcement to mention is Seven Seas is publishing... The first volume of Kuma Nano and O29's Kuma Kuma Bear light novel series on June 9th. And the first volume of Sergei's manga adaptation of the novels on May 12th. And this story is about a 15-year-old who loves staying at home and playing her favorite VR MMO game. And prefers to do that rather than anything else, including going to school. And then a strange update gives her a -a one-of-a-kind bear outfit that comes with overpowered abilities... And Yuna is torn because the outfit is really cute, but it's too embarrassing to wear in the game. But then she finds herself transported into the world of the game, facing down monsters and magic for real, and the bear suit becomes the best weapon she has. So, kind of a fun, easy kai trapped in a game series, where the protagonist is in a cute bear costume. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, now that we're done with Seven Seas... <gasps> oh, okay, I can finally come up for air. Um, okay, so... Uh, I think um, Seven Seas, I think, has really come out with, like, a really good selection of titles this time around. They always do. They always license really good stuff. Yeah, I I mean, that's not to say they don't always come out with good stuff. I just, when I say good, I mean, um, because sometimes Seven Seas will come out with a bunch of new licenses. um, And um, sometimes certain, like, rounds of licensing announcements will have titles that I'm... You know, sometimes I'm not, I'm not always particularly interested in, like, every title they announce sometimes. And, you know, that's perfectly fine. I, I, I'm just saying for me personally, the, this multiple tidal wave announcement series or whatever has a lot of stuff that, like, I'm actually really looking forward to. Uh, I think the first two rounds in particular have a lot of stuff I really want to check out. As far as, like, this third round here, I think the one I'm the most interested in is uh, I Had That Same Dream Again. Um, it sounds like a really interesting, possibly very heartfelt story full of interesting different uh, characters, uh, b- basically a, a group of different people at different stages of their lives. Like I just I find I find the idea of taking all those different perspectives and kind of having them uh, cross and intersect with each other really interesting. So I definitely would like to check that one out in particular. Yeah, I am looking forward to pretty much all of these announcements. I'm interested in checking out, of course, Love Me For What I Am being at the very top, but as a fan of Kuniko Hihara, I am definitely a fan of the novels and manga that they're bringing over. And of course, I liked Yorosumino's I Want to Eat Your Pancreas, so I'm looking forward to that novel. And I like Doro, so I'm looking forward to the Doro spinoff. And everything else has a premise that catches my eye and sounds like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So... I think for me, uh, Love Me For What I Am and um, and Comet Girl are like the two that I'm looking forward to the most. I would concur. Mm-hmm. Uh, but both of those sound like really fun, interesting works, especially Comet Girl. I'm a sucker for a good throwback, so. Um, but yeah, now, now that we're finally coming up for breath from all those Seven Seas announcements, fearing the day that we'll be crashed by another tidal wave, um, we should move on to the rest of our licenses. Yeah. And Yen Press is coming out with Makoto Shinkai's Wittering With You novel just ahead of the film premiering in U.S. theaters in early January, or about mid-January. 
The novel is coming out in hardcover and digital on December 17th, and of course, it is about a high school student, Todoka, who runs away from his remote island home to Tokyo in the summer of his freshman year, and he finds himself pushed to his financial and personal limits, and the usually rainy weather seems to suggest a gloomy future. He lives his days in isolation, but finally finds work as a writer from Mysterious Occult Magazine, and one day, he meets a girl on a busy street corner, and... This bright and strong-willed girl possesses a strange and wonderful ability, the power to stop the rain and clear the sky. So another love story for Shinkai. Perhaps another story about star-crossed lovers as he is prone to write. I am going to see this film premiere at Anime NYC by the time you're listening to this. I'm going to be very curious to see the film as a fan of your name. See how he followed up from your name with this film. And the novel adaptation, I'm curious to see come out and uh, read. And if you can't wait for the film to come out to general audiences the following month, you know, you could read the novel in advance of that to, you know, read the story. Though, of course, with Shinkai, his films are such a visual experience that the story can't just be told through the mere plot alone. The visuals are absolutely essential. Yeah, I would agree. Alright, but uh, moving on with the rest of our licenses, uh, just a couple stray licenses before we head out of licensing news. Uh, Cross Infinite World recently licensed a standalone novel from Tsukasa Mikuni entitled Of Dragons and Fae is a fairy tale ending possible for the princess's hairstylist. Very interesting title. And uh, I'm just going to read the synopsis word for word because I think it warrants it. At last I found you, my bondmate. As flower folk, I've never dreamed of having a fairy tale romance, but I also didn't expect to be dumped three days after being confessed to by a dragon knight, spurned and angry. I decided to devote my life to my work as the human princess's hairstylist, only to find out that the princess was going off to dragon country to marry the dragon king prince and taking me with her. Now I have to serve in the same castle as that jerk who dumped me. The princess can have the fairy tale ending. I'm done with romance. <laughs> Good delivery there. Thank you. I I uh I was practicing. No, I didn't. Um so uh yeah, this sounds like a very um sounds sounds interesting. Um it it kind of feels very um well, no, I guess it's not really similar. I was going to say I was going to say it comes off very skip beatish to me, but I don't know if that's actually a right comparison <laughs> just in terms of uh this this uh the story starring a character who's been dumped and now they probably want to get back at the person who dumped them um, again it's probably not really the best comparison but i for some reason that was like the first thing that kind of came to my mind um but yeah no i don't really have much else to say about that in particular um i don't know if i mentioned this so uh this novel will be releasing on uh, november 12th uh so there's that and then uh i guess we'll move on to soul press who has recently licensed a uh, chivalry of a failed knight uh, written by Riku Misora and illustrated by Wan, uh, which I think uh, had an anime back in 2015, um, and I think is available on uh, High Dive for streaming for anybody who's interested. And uh, I won't go over the synopsis word for word because it's very long, but basically the long and short of it is that this series takes place in a world where uh, people have the ability to basically materialize their souls into uh, different weapons. It's very, um, it's, it's very bleach esque in a way. Kind of reminds me of Zong Pak To. 
Um, and basically, you you have this guy who who is basically a giant loser and it has no talent, is a giant failure, so much to the point where people literally have given him the nickname of the worst one, which I think is pretty pretty unfortunate. Um, and basically, has spent his entire life trying to uh, get better at these uh, at these abilities. So he could become a a mage knight is uh, what they call it. Um, and then kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have this princess character who uh, she's good at, you know, uh, at this ability and is completely undefeated. She's a rank A. Um, I didn't mention this blazer. That's what they call people with these abilities. And it's pretty silly. And basically, they they end up going to the same academy where they both basically participate in a tournament of other Blazer ability users or whatever, and they fight in the giant tournament. And that's that's like the basic premise of the story. So, um, so something I would call um, tournament arc the novel, I guess. Um, I'm sure it's yeah. I'm sure it's more than that, but like. I don't know. It it sounded kind of interesting. Like I wouldn't mind checking it out. Maybe maybe I'll check out the anime. It actually does sound kind of cool. Yeah, I haven't watched this series, but I remember this title rung a bell because in Digibro series, the Asterix War sucks. Eventually, he got to a sub part of that where he compared it to Chivalry of a Fail Knight and basically praised Chivalry of Fail Knight being. The good version of the Asterix War, or at least a competently written version. So it seems like it is a decent series at the very least. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, at the very least, I would I would give it a chance. Uh, this series in particular will be released by Soul Press. The first three volumes will be released by Soul Press simultaneously, digitally and in print on November 16th. And will release subsequent volumes, uh, quote unquote, in set intervals. Uh, whatever that really means. Um, I'm sure that just means they have a timetable that uh, they want to adhere to. Yeah. So yeah, that's available from them. And then uh, we're going to move on to our very last licensor, J Novel Club, uh, which has um, announced two new licenses of actually some kind of interesting series. So uh, recently they announced two new light novel series from Hobby Japan. Uh, the first one being By the Grace of the Gods, uh, written by Roy and illustrated by Ririnra, uh, as well as The Underdog of the Eight Greater Tribes, written by Washiro Fujiki and illustrated by Yu Kodama. So, uh, just to talk about By the Grace of the Gods, um, essentially from the premise, it's another isekai series where um, y- you have this middle aged businessman who basically dies and is reincarnated in another world. Surprise, surprise. Um, the biggest difference with this one is that basically he's reincarnated as a as a little boy who who lives in a forest and it is basically his job to take care of different slimes. Um, so he's basically like a like a slime tamer almost, and I thought that was kind of interesting, like weirdly wholesome. Um, it sounds like it could be wholesome anyway. Like it, it sounds like the kind of thing that like if I were to like if I watched like an anime version of it, it'd probably be pretty relaxing. Maybe maybe it's got Iashike vibes, sort of. Um, that's just my guess. Yeah. But uh, parts one and two of volume one are now available on J Novel Club's website for members, uh, along with a free preview for non-members. Uh, so if you want to check that out, it, a, a bit of it's up there. And then, uh, like I said, we have The Underdog of the Eight Greater Tribes. 
which essentially takes place in a world where uh, long ago there was a big war amongst eight tribes of the world. Uh, and now, uh, after some time, each tribe has now been confined to its own continent, uh, thus achieving world peace and harmony uh, for everyone, except for the people who are still itching for a fight. Uh, in which case, uh, they are basically sanctioned to fight on a sort of neutral uh, continent or whatever, basically save for people who like just want to keep fighting. And uh, on this dual city continent, you know, fighters from all over the world will clash or whatever, you know, vying to be the best again. Another, I'm sure another very tournament-esque thing. Uh, this story in particular uh, revolves around uh, Yuri Eniaster, Ionaster, not sure how you pronounce that, uh, of the human tribe who manages to take out a high-ranking opponent on the first day, which, uh, you know, basically, you know, he's he's clearly a very experienced fighter, but uh, unfortunately he has the stigma of being related to uh, what this world universally considers basically the weakest clan or the weakest lineage. So he's, I'm sure he's basically constantly fighting that stigma, uh, even though I'm sure he's a very good fighter. Um, so parts one through three of volume one are available on J Novel Club, again, with another free preview for non-members. Um, this sounds like it could be okay. Uh, again, this is something I would I would give a chance, but I think out of the two, I'm definitely more interested in By the Grace of the Gods. It just it just sounds so fun and cute. Yeah, that seems like a more novel premise, like basically raising slimes and researching slimes uh, compared to Underdog of the Greater Tribes, which is kind of a more traditional fantasy premise of like people fighting each other and stuff. Mm-hmm. Essentially. But I think that's about it, finally, for all of our licensing news. Yeah, there were a lot of really go cool stuff announced. And of course, by the time you're listening to this, even more things will be announced at <laughs> Anime NYC for sure that we did not get a chance to report on in this episode. But we will no doubt be reporting on in the very near future. But now we have some miscellaneous stories, some pretty big news stories, and we're starting off with some Shonen Jump-related controversies. Oh boy. In the 48th issue of uh, this year's weekly Shonen Jump, uh, Yuna and the Haunted Art Springs came under scrutiny and criticism for its 181st chapter, specifically its color illustration, which showed a naked Yuna in the bat with her nipples censored. However, when the magazine went on sale, people started talking on social media that you can actually make Yuna's nipples appear because on the opposite side of the cover illustration is a side comic with the girls of the series enjoying bubble tea. And so the bubble tea shows some tapioca pearls inside the cup. And when you hold the cover illustration up and cast a backlight over it, the tapioca pearls on the other side of the page become visible and reveal themselves as Yuna's nipples. And people were basically criticizing this, whether it is right for a magazine aimed towards young boys to basically have softcore pornography like this like exposed breast with uncensored nipples we've previously discussed on the show before another controversy with you and the haunted hot screens over a cover page illustration which showed 
older girls having their clothes ripped off as they were falling through the sky and looking very embarrassed. And I remember saying back then that that felt very exploitative. And this, too, is pretty exploitative. It's not really anything new for Yuna and the Haunted Hot Springs. If you check out the volumes of the series, and this is something that Seven Seas retains in their English editions, is that the covers of the series, of course, feature the girls. But if you remove, like, the flap cover in the Japanese editions, or if you just turn the page of the cover in the English editions, you will see that same illustration with the girls having their clothes ripped off and looking very embarrassed. So this is very much a consistent thing that Union and the Haunted Hot Springs has done. And if you read the volumes of Union and the Haunted Hot Springs, you will notice that the series is very full of uh, un- exposed breasts which in the magazine versions are censored with steam or whatnot but in the volumes themselves are uncensored and show uncensored nipples and you know how the hot springs is very much a softcore porn i feel for boy young boys it seems but yes i feel like you know how Hot Springs is a series that really does toe the line between what is appropriate for children. I do think that it crosses a line by showing female characters being exploited for their sexuality. I do take issue with how they always are embarrassed at being exposed for the pleasure, it seems, of the reader in a voyeuristic, uh, invasive aspect. And I don't think that's a really good message to send to children and to normalize in cultural products. So I think that Yuna and the Haunted Hot Springs, it has its fans. V-Lord is definitely one of them. He really likes the series. But I will say that I do think that this is crossing the line in a shonen magazine, a magazine aimed at young kids. I do not think that kids need softcore pornography. I think that is very damaging psychologically. And I am definitely on the side of censorship in this case. And I think, you know, if this had been an adult aimed magazine, I might, I, I do, in some respects, I do find this trick they pulled with this cover humorous, but I don't think it's very appropriate for a magazine aimed towards young boys. And again, another aspect of this controversy was people complained that these magazines are sold very readily in bookstores and it expanded into this longer conversation about how tiring and frustrating it is that sexually explicit magazines are just sold at convenience stores, like just out in the open for people to read. And that's very uncomfortable for women, especially. And it's very damaging, of course, for uh, young women, especially. And... I think that this is definitely something that Jump Editorial and artists themselves should think about and maybe show some restraint and not include this stuff in their stories. I mean, at the very least, like, you know, if, if you if you wanted to pull something like this, like, it just seems like a lot. I mean, I mean, I do I do kind of agree in that, like, I'm strangely out of two minds of this as well, where it's like, that is kind of. Like, that is kind of humorous in a way, but at the same time, it's like, it just seems kind of weird to go that go to that extra step just to show 
people a bit of nipple. Like, I don't know, like, this feels like the kind of thing, like, I don't know, like, I think I would have been fine with, like, because obviously, like, for something like Yuna of the Haunted Hot Springs, like, obviously, this kind of stuff has to be censored. And I think that's reasonable. But at the very least, like, if if you really want to show nipple that badly, I don't know, and I'm sure they do, but I don't know why you wouldn't say this kind of thing for, like, the volume release for, you know, for people who uh, go out of their way to collect volumes of the series in particular. I don't know. That's just me, though. Yeah, it seems like a way to get away with it in the magazines, and normally it is censored in the magazine while it's uncensored in the volumes. I will say, in this case, at the very least, the illustration... It doesn't show Yuna embarrassed, like uh, she is. Her privacy is being evaded. She's just kind of relaxing. It seems. It's still like a very sexual pose, but at least she's not, you know, being violated in terms of her privacy and in terms of you know being exploited by the viewer as a voyeur in the in a sense. But again, I don't think this kind of material should even be in Shonen Jump and should not be aimed towards uh, young children. Yeah, I I basically agree. Like, I, I saw somewhere somebody trying to make the argument that like, oh, well, Dragon Ball got away with showing nipple when it's like, you're totally missing the point of like, you know, Dragon Ball was something that ran in the 80s. Like, it was... I'm not going to say it was, like, okay, but it was a little more acceptable. No, it was not okay back then. Yes, people didn't think about it critically. Yeah, So yeah. it flied back then. But that stuff is problematic. It's not just because they did it back then doesn't make it okay to do now. Because it wasn't okay to do back then in the first place. They just didn't think about it critically and think no we not shouldn't Not a lot of people this. did, no. And then because of that stuff, it's been normalized so people continue to try and perpetuate this kind of sexually exploitative stuff with underage characters mm-hmm. and so that's not a good thing at all but uh but no yeah this whole thing with yuna i can't say that i'm surprised that it's under controversy yet again um it's it's basically this generation's uh to love rue almost i don't know yeah I'm, I'm sure i'm sure this won't be the last time something like this happens which is kind of unfortunate to say but i don't know yeah I think that Yuna will continue to ruffle feathers with its very, very explicit imagery that I continue to be surprised is allowed to rud in Shonen Jump today. Mm-hmm. And uh, Yuna, Yuna in and of itself is not the only thing that's going to ruffle people's feathers. There is indeed another recent controversy, which is not directly related to this unit controversy, but it does also concern Shonen Jub's treatment of women, but in this case, real-life women specifically. Because recently, you know, an anonymous Twitter user sparked a conversation when they spoke of Shueisha visiting their university And she asked the question, can women become editors at Shonen Jumps? And Shueisha HR allegedly said, it's not without precedent, but you have to understand the hearts of boys. This caused a kerfuffle after the tweet was published in Japan uh, and circulated Japanese Twitter. So Huffington Post Japan reached out to Shueisha and confirmed that this was the company's official stance towards hiring female editors 
And Shuisha's full statement to the Huffington Post reads as follows. Our company conducts seminars at a number of university campuses regarding the matter of female editors at Jump. Our statement is as follows. It is not unprecedented. There are women at Jump Plus and publications like Young Jump have had female editors in the past. Women's fashion magazines need people who understand women's fashion regardless of gender. So for shonen manga, it is important to understand the hearts of boys. Also, new recruits to the company are not selected based on the department. We hire suitable people for the company as a whole, and after they have joined, they are assigned to a place that suits them. Regarding the statement made above, we cannot answer any questions regarding the date or the name of the university that it took place in. So, very obviously from that PR statement, they didn't actually say or make it clear whether or not women can become editors of Weekly Shonen Jump. They sidestepped the question by saying, it's not like we haven't had women editors on our Shonen and Jump related series in the four, but, you know, regards to Shonen manga, it's important to understand Hearts of Boys. Essentially, they're saying it is up to them to judge whether the people they hire to be editors, quote unquote, understand the hearts of boys. And apparently in the last 50 years, they have judged that none of the women they have hired to be editors have understood the hearts of boys enough to be an editor at a weekly Shonen Jump, it seems. And of course, this has been talked about before, their stance on the fact there has never been a woman in the history of Shonen Jump's editorial department. Again, there was an interview with TBS last October where Deputy Chief Onoshi stated that, you know, very frankly stated that Shonen Jump has never had a female editor in its history and described the workplace as a boys-only high school. And then on the question of what it'd be like to work with with women in the editorial department. They discussed it mostly in terms of how they would be gratified to work with women, like being scolded or praised by women and joked about, oh, how we'd get so many new puns out of it. They weren't really taking the idea seriously. It was very dismissive of the idea. And of course, in the right way to make jump, this question was also addressed when then... Deputy Editor-in-Chief uh, Soichi Aida said, There are no female editors working at the magazine because Jump's main target is boys about middle school age. And they basically were very firm in that manga, it seems, about the fact that there are no women working here. And we're proud there are no women working here because Shonen Jump is for boys and... If I were editor-in-chief, I'd make the department even more manly. So really, they don't take the idea of women working in Shonen Jump editorial seriously, and they aren't really concerned with the fact that over 50 years, they have not included women in the workplace in the editorial office Shonen Jump. And of course, this has upset a lot of people, including actual mangaka working for Shueisha, like Kaori Ishikawa, who in a series of non-deleted tweets, uh, commented that it's not a matter of women should work harder in order to get hired. It's a matter of people not getting into the Jump editorial team on the basis of being a woman, and I don't understand the reasoning for that. And she also wrote that I'm going to keep drawing fake shonen manga for the rest of my life, so if you like fake shonen manga, please read it. Uh, Kaori Ishikawa draws the series rocking new for Jump Plus. So obviously, you know, at the statement of uh, someone needs to understand the heart of boys to work in Shonen Manga, that would very much insult 
all the women who work for Shonen Jump are making series for Shueisha's magazines. It's quite an insensitive comment, considering that the implication of that comment was the reason there has been no women in Jump editorial is because they have decided that women don't understand the hearts of boys, despite the fact that several women have made shonen manga for shonen jump and very successful shonen manga at that. And yeah, that is quite an insensitive and insulting comment that uh, the PR person actuation made and has been very rightfully criticized. And another tweet from Ishikawa that was also, you know, very much get across how hurt they were by this is that it's painful to be told that it's a lie, but I hope that one day we'll be able to talk about it normally. I'm going to keep drawing manga, so please read it if you like. So very obviously, this is a terrible stance for Shueisha to take about including women in their editorial offices and being like an open workplace that isn't discriminatory. And they really need to reevaluate this policy and they need to hire women into the editorial office of Shonen Jump because their current policy is discriminatory and unfair and is only harmful by creating this boy club-like atmosphere that they really should not be uh, so very proud of. Oh boy, look, as as much as I love, and I mean it, like I, I love Shonen Jump and I love Shueisha mostly for the fact that you know, they have a lot of manga uh, under their belt that like I'm a huge fan of and I love their stuff. So so ha- having having that attachment to a lot of their works just makes this all the more disheartening. Um, like between this and like, I, I hate to bring this up, but like between this and like stuff like Shueisha hiring back Watsky after his uh, crime or whatever, it's just it, it just it just really breaks my heart like where they stand on some of this stuff and i just this stuff needs to change it's legitimately frustrating and i i hate dealing with it shonen jump needs to reevaluate their stance and they need to make changes for the better to have a more inclusive workplace and I want to credit cypher at cypher underscore db on twitter for bringing this story to the attention of English Annie Twitter. I think their tweets in particular was what really sparked people's awareness that this was going on. And uh, in Japanese Annie Twitter, like this uh, recent controversy and uh, discussion that has followed from that. Uh, I made my thoughts on this issue very clear on Twitter as well. And again, I think it's very clear what Shueisha needs to do here and the changes they need to make. And I do think it is quite ironic, uh, especially in this anime news network uh, kind of write up on the, the story, that this story kind of broke at the same time where an act age got the cover, which is a series with a female protagonist and very much explores the interiority of its female characters. It's drawn by a female artist, so... Kind of very ironic, but perhaps series like Octage will be a sign of changing times at Shueisha in terms of the stories being told. And hopefully that will also lead to changing times in the editorial office in terms of who gets to be an editor at Shonen Jump. And that's another thing too, like Shonen Jump has so many series that like clearly have an audience outside of just men or boys. And it's like they just, 
I don't know if I want to say all, but like at least a good portion of the people that are a part of the editorial staff just don't want to seem to recognize that or or at the very least just like blatantly ignore it. They recognize when they can sell something to female audiences, but they don't respect them. No, not at all. And it's just like, I don't know, I, I feel like it's attitudes like that that like, uh, that that sort of indirectly lead to this mindset that most people in the anime and manga community have when it comes to these different labels, whether they be shonen, shoujo, seinen, jose, whatever, where it's like, you know, hey, this series is a shonen manga, and for some reason that label really matters, and you know, d d this is meant for this kind of audience and nobody else. Like, I just, I don't understand people's need to to stick to these labels like that. Yeah, the labels really only mean this is the targeted demographic we want to sell products to. It is not a statement of this series can only be enjoyed by this targeted demographic we're selling products to. Yeah, because like by that by that logic, you're basically saying like Act Age can only be enjoyed by by young boys, which is really weird because it it's like I think I feel like out of everything running in jump right now, Act Age is probably the most it's probably the most different from from any jump series running right now. I would agree. It is very, very distinct from other jump series. And just in the way it's written, not just because it has a female protagonist. I mean it's it's a drama unlike anything else that Shonen Jump is currently running, for sure. But in general, Shonen Jump series have a wide appeal and have always been appealing to all sorts of people, no matter gender, race, ethnicity, you know, worldwide. So you can't really say that, you know, this magazine is just for young boys because, quite frankly, there are... Probably more adult readers of Shonen Jump at this point. Probably, yeah. Worldwide. And Shonen Jump is basically read by everyone in Japan as the most popular manga magazine in Japan. And Worldwide is the most popular manga magazine brand that everyone knows about. And everyone is a fan of at least one Shonen Jump series. I don't know, man. Things need to change. That's all, I'm, that's all, that's all I can add to that. Yep, they do. And let's hope that as we enter the 2020s, this 50-year-old quote-unquote policy of theirs is removed, and we finally start seeing Joesha take some long-needed steps forward into progress. Having no female editors in 50 years isn't only... It's, it's, it's both perplexing... It's, it's perplexingly stubborn, to say the least. Like, how do you manage that? Sexism... And That's the easy answer, being yeah. <laughs> unaware of your own sexism. But we need to talk about another important story. Of this one, the jump story is frustrating. This one is quite somber and very sad because a very important manga creator has passed away, like a very prolific creator, Hideo Azuma. He passed away on October 13th due to esophageal cancer. He was 69, and there have been private funeral and memorial services. And Asuma has just an incredible career history in terms of how many manga he has drawn. He made his debut at 19 in Weekly Shonen, Jundi Weekly Shonen Sunday in 1969. 
And some of his most notable works include Olympus no Poran and Nanako SOS. His breakout work, really the work that put him on the map early on, was Futari to Gonin, to People in Five, the translated title, which I believe was published in Akita Shonen. But, you know, he was a very prolific creator. At one point, he was doing multiple monthly and weekly serials and then one shots on top of that. At one point, he was doing 130 pages a month in his career. Wow. And yeah, had a very, very prolific career throughout the 70s through the early 80s. He is said to have been a significant contributor to the concept and aesthetic of modern moe and lolicon art in anime and manga, which may be a complicated legacy, but, you know, all these cute girl aesthetics that we now find so popular in manga anime nowadays are in part attributed to him as like the fodder of that kind of aesthetic. It is also worth pointing out, though, that he also did draw pornographic manga series. So that is not necessarily a great thing. But he did have very important contributions to the medium and then the aesthetics of anime and manga as we know them today. Most uh, notably, uh, Azuma's autobiographical manga, Disappearance Diary, not only explores his career history and, like, all the work he was doing early on in his career, but it is most about his experiences being homeless because Azuma suffered from mental illness and overwork, basically, if you read Disappearance Diary. Basically, he just became so overworked that at one point, while he was on a research trip for a project of his, he kind of spent all his money, and then he just ended up camping out in the woods of the town he was at and he just like stayed there he just continued to live that lifestyle of like just living in the woods like searching around for like scraps of food and blankets that were discarded and just live homeless because he just needed an escape from the real world and this happened twice to him he did this the first time in 1989, but then he repeated the cycle again in 1992. And eventually that experience being homeless ended up leading him to become a gas pipe layer. Where, so he did that for a while until finally he ended up being discovered and taken back home again. Though he continued to do that job even after being taken back home again until he finally decided to resume doing manga after just quitting the job, being frustrated at a co-worker it is. And then again, uh, he, you know, got, suffered from alcoholism. And in 1998, and Christmas Day 1998, you know, basically his family just forced him to be admitted into a hospital because his alcoholism had just become that severe. So he had a very troubled life of... Dealing with mental illness and depression and anxiety, most likely, you know, I think that he he states he was so overworked and get put under so much pressure that it makes sense that kind of caused him to escape from reality several times to just try and get away and then drown out like his anxieties with alcohol. And yeah, he had a very troubled life, but he bounced back uh, after all the experiences, at least for a little while, to keep drawing manga. 
And the first Disappearance Diary was published in 2005 in Japan. It was released in English by Fanfare and Pontentmont in 2008. And then there's a sequel to that called Disappearance Diary 2, The Ward for Alcoholics, which goes into further depth into his time in the alcoholic ward. And I don't know if this has been released in English. I have only read the original Disappearance Diary volume. But while Disappearance Diary was given accolades when it first came out, very recently it has been given some new accolades. Because uh, just a few days before Hideo Azuma passed away, uh, Disappearance Diary won the Grand Wengi Award for rediscovered work at the 2019 Luca Comics and Games Convention, which is the largest comic book convention in Europe. And uh, it's hosted in Luca, Italy. And Disappearance Diary was actually first published in Italy in uh, 2019. So it makes sense why it was being given an award just now because it's the first time it was actually published in Italy was this year. But Azuma was already well known for his other works in Italy, specifically for Little Paulon and its anime adaptation which was actually very popular in Italy. But yeah, so it's actually very sad that, you know, he had just won another award for Disappearance Diary. And just a few days afterwards, he passed away. And, you know, in Disappearance Diary, during his time in the alcoholic ward, like he was consistently being told by doctors and nurses that you're going to die if you're going to keep drinking. You know, you are one step closer to death. You one foot in the grade already. Like they were, they were telling him this back in 1998. So he outlived their predictions, outlived their ominous suggestions for two decades. But it's clear that ultimately his drinking had a damaging effect on his health. Generally, his lifestyle had a damaging effect on his health and caused him to develop the symptoms of esophageal cancer and, you know, pass away like this. So I think that Hideo Azuma's story is very much a cautionary tale of not overworking yourself and also getting help when you are feeling just overwhelmed by responsibilities and work and pressures and, you know, getting treatment you need and put on the path to recovery in a timely way. Because Azuma, you know, he consistently ran away from his family, like both of the times he went homeless, like he just disappeared and left his wife cold and all his friends and family just wondering, where did he go? And they were incredibly worried about him. Both of the times he disappeared. And there's like this moment where uh, he wrote in like an interview and towards the, the back of Disappearance Star, he wrote about like how when he was thinking about writing Disappearance Star and experiences being homeless, he like wrote down to himself one night. It was so tough. I was so cold every night. And then his wife wrote the next morning, we had it so much harder. We were suffering so much more. So, you know, it's not just like a 
a problem that affects one person it affects like everyone around the person when people are suffering from overwork and from depression and mental illness and you know not being treated and really it is so frustrating reading the experience diary and you're hearing these anecdotes of his experiences with like his editors especially early on in his career where like they just kept piling on more work to him even when he was telling them you know i can't do more they're like trending him if you don't do more work we won't work with you again so they're basically pressuring him to continue to take on more responsibilities to could handle and then eventually over a decade of that he broke down so disappearance diary is a, a really moving story it's like written as a comedy mostly it's like ozma takes like a humorous perspective on like some of the really harsh things that happened to him in the first chapter he writes about how he tried to commit suicide by tying his neck to a rope in the tree but eventually you know it didn't work he just ended up sleeping so it's that kind of tone where he jokes about these very cruel and serious things that happened to him during this stint where he's suffering from the mental illness and homelessness and alcoholism, you know, from a from a humorous perspective, a perspective of you know being past it. But yeah, it's a it's a very good read. It's very tragic that Ozma has passed away, and you know I do encourage people to check out the Experience Diary. It's like a good uh, memoir that also takes a real look at like uh, the problems the homeless community faces in uh, Japan, especially, but also, you know, in general, like the need to really be sympathetic and pay attention to the needs of people who are being put into mentally stressful positions from a work life that is just too harsh and stressful. So, you know, rest in peace, Azuma. You had an incredibly prolific work. You left a indelible impact on the medium of manga and anime and disappearance diary you know it's definitely a really really important read i think for people to check out to you know understand like a, a perspective on homelessness and mental illness that is so you don't often find in a manga so a very very tragic story to report on but uh, an important one, an important creator, nonetheless, to remember fondly. But now we have some movie news we should report on. A ton of films are going to be put on HBO Max that will be of interest to anime fans because they are going to stream the entire Studio Ghibli catalog when HBO Max launches in spring 2020. So basically all 21 of Ghibli's feature films will be available on HBO Max. Isn't that except Grave of the Fireflies, though? Except Grave of the Fireflies because that's the only one that isn't available from G-Kids because Sentai has that. So Okay. Yeah. But pretty much all of them. And Vin Rises won't be available at launch, but it will come in fall 2020. And this is kind of a funny story because literally a day before, Polygon had reported a story on Studio Ghibli not having any plans to stream their films digitally because they believe that the only way to truly appreciate their films would be in a theatrical setting. And then I remember just a tweet from Jason DeMarco, like in response to that, where he was he just did the thinking emoji in response to that. <sighs> and then like the next day, I truly understood the meaning of that tweet, like his confusion, because he knew that 
these films were being added to HBO Max, I find the timing of the announcement really funny. Like, did they decide to let this revelation happen in response to the the Polygon story to just kind of throw a middle finger up at them? Or was it always planned to be announced that day and it was bad luck that Polygon released their story literally a day before? Either way, Polygon had egg on their face, but... It was kind of funny to see, like, literally within a day, like, uh, the conversation people were having of, oh, Ghibli continues to respect films and theaters. Oh, they're, they're, that's so cool. And then literally next day was like, nope, they sold all their films to HBO Max. They'll, they'll all be able to stream on there. And people are like, oh, uh, not, it's so cool. I get to watch all these films on HBO Max. They're so accessible. So but, it's kind but, of funny but to the, see. But the integrity... Or whatever, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently, you know, there's rumors rumbling around that uh, the next Ghibli film, the one that Miyazaki has returned to make, might even be released streaming only, or might be released on HBO Max, like, first. So that'd wow. be kind of interesting. That would be pretty cool. But I will correct one thing that people have kept saying, you know, that one thing that confused me about this Polygon story, is that... This is not the first time any Ghibli films have ever been available streaming on any platform. Because I distinctly remember that way back, like maybe even 10 years ago at this point, when Disney still had the license to Ghibli's films, you could stream Howl's Moving Castle and Tales of Earthsea on Netflix. I remember those two films distinctly. So I think this is kind of some cultural amnesia people are having about the fact that these, yes, Ghibli's films haven't been available on streaming in a long time, but it wasn't like they've never been available on streaming service because I remember those being on Netflix. And the reason I believe people are having this cultural amnesia is of course a part of Hayao Miyazaki's Ghibli conspiracy to try and make this HBO Max deal sound so appealing and newsworthy and revolutionary that people will subscribe to HBO Max and of course be indoctrinated by his subtle drug deal messaging oh, no. that we have exposed at length in our Ghibli experience at movies episode and we will continue to expose at length in future at movies episodes and i wanted to let miyazaki know personally i am on to you and your conspiracy to gaslight the uh anime fans of not just here in the West, but worldwide into only caring about your films and rejecting other anime because you think anime was a mistake and you want only uh, Ghibli films to be considered true cinema. I am on to you, Miyazaki. I know you were behind Polygon mistaking the reporting just to make the announcement of these films on HBO Max seem even more important and more prestigious you can't fool me, and we will continue to expose your twisted conspiracy to hook the youth of the world on not only your movies, but the drugs that you keep subliminally messaging in your movies you want kids to be on. So if anyone is confused about what I'm talking about, listen to episode 36 of Mulling Erratics Ad Movies, The Ghibli Conspiracy, and any future add movies episodes where we talk about Studio Ghibli films because we will continue fighting the good fight and exposing the twisted Ghibli conspiracy that me that madman Miyazaki has 
orchestrated and is manipulating us with his twisted machinations. But until then, we will talk about films that don't have conspiracies behind them, but are just, of course, part of long franchises that continue to make new stuff. B- big asterisk there, real quick. Uh, I am not a part of this. Uh, I have a family, and by a family, I mean I have two roommates and a dog I love very much. I am in no way a part of this. Yes, uh, Colton will not, is absolving himself of blame, so he will not be tried, and he will not be sent a sword saying, no casts, implying no podcasts. <laughs> I reject your threat, Miyazaki. We made the podcast, and we will continue making the podcast, and you can't do anything about it until you come here directly and try to kill us. I, I for one, welcome our Hayao Miyazaki overlords. I reject them. <laughs> Instead, I welcome the coming of new Sailor Moon films. It has been finally announced that the first Sailor Moon Eternal film has a release date for September 11, 2020. And it has been announced that Studio Dean is co-producing these films with Toei. Hmm. So they were getting another studio to help them on these films. And we've got a release date for next fall. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing them come out. I think it was great to get the original character designer back. It's great that Chiaka Cohen is continuing from the third season because she did great work directing the third season. And I'm really looking forward to these films. The Dead Moon arc is not my favorite arc of the series, but it's still really good. And I like Sailor Moon a lot. So uh, another chance to see Sailor Moon, especially on the big screen, is super exciting. Also super exciting is that... There is a new Pokemon show on the way. In fact, it is already premiered, probably, by the time you're listening to this. And this series is interesting. It's just going to be called Pocket Monster. It's not going to be directly just based on Sword and Shield. Instead, Ash is going to be teamed up with a new character called Go. And they are going to be traveling around all the regions in order to... Uh, capture a bunch of different Pokemon and discover a bunch of different mysteries. So it's a whole new format for the show that's really interesting. And Go seems like a cool character with a cool design. Been a little confusion and controversy about what gender the character was, but basically they are meant to be androgynous, but they are, you know, cisgender male. Regardless, this is really interesting because this is the first Pokemon series which only has two protagonists, in contrast to the previous series where there were three or four. So it's an interesting pairing, but hopefully Ash and Go will meet and encounter all sorts of different characters on their journey. Hopefully, you know, I'm just crossing my fingers, they might come into contact with some old character from the past that I would like to see again. But... I've seen some clips of the new show floating around online and the character animation continues to be excellent. They're continuing kind of the uh, stylistic choices from Sun and Moon in a sense. Well, Ash's character design looks more akin to the recent films, movies 20 and 21, especially with how his eyes are drawn and his uh, clothing. But yeah, I mean, the animation will continue to be incredibly expressive uh, Score Bunny has so much personality just from the clips I've seen about like it reacting to Pikachu ignoring it and then just kind of being very pouty around Go that is just super funny. And yeah, I'm really, really excited to, for this new show. Sudden Moon ended on such a great note. 
I really, really have to evaluate whether it might be my favorite of the Pokemon series because I do love Diamond and Pearl a whole lot, but it definitely is the best animated and has some of the strongest storytelling of all of them. And I'm hoping that the new Pokemon show continues to be really, really strong in that respect. Uh, They definitely have announced that they are actually going to be pulling back from the story arcs that you know sun and moon did with it's like long forming story long form story arcs and more going to be more focused on episodic adventures but i still think that uh, has a lot of potential to be really fun especially since they're going to be traveling around all regions and there's so much variety and potential uh to explore by them doing that so i love pokemon and i think i'm going to really love this new pokemon show Mm-hmm. I still haven't seen Sun and Moon. Now now that it's over, I might have to get back on it. But uh I'm I'm happy to see that they're still keeping up with uh with the same sort of aesthetics that they had in Sun and Moon, because I think that was that was really like the thing that like kind of started like piquing my interest in maybe watching Pokemon again after so long, so mm-hmm. Sun and Moon is really beautifully animated and it's a really, really great storytelling. Definitely some of the best the Pokemon anime has ever been was in Sun and Moon. And here's uh, some exciting poll news to talk about. So by the time you're listening to this, we'll probably know the full results of this NHK Rumiko Takahashi poll because they're going to be doing this program on October 17th. Voting basically took place from September through earlier this month, and I definitely made sure to get my votes in. But in mid-October, they actually revealed some interim results for favorite Rumiko Takahashi characters and favorite Rumiko Takahashi series' songs. So to go over the songs list, I'll count up from 10th place to 4th. They have left off the top three places in the songs list and the top 10 in the characters list. So for favorite Rumiko Takahashi series of songs, they have Equal Romance by Coco, which was the second Rama half ending. They have Dearest by Ayumi Hamasaki, the third Inuyasha ending. Okaranman by Kitak, the first Renee opening. Hiramare by Kozu Morishita, the fifth Maizana Koku ending, Lambada Ranma by the Rama Half Operatic Troupe for the Rama Half uh, ending 4, Grip by Every Little Thing in Yasha opening 4, and 4th place is Kanashimi Yo Konishiwa, the first opening in Maizana Koku done by Yuki Saito. So, some pretty good choices. Nothing too surprising to me so far. I mean, the top three, I guess, doesn't leave space for all of my favorites that haven't been mentioned here. But in terms of what has been uh, chosen, you know, Oldie's songs are really great. And I think Oldie's uh, openings and ending themes are really great. I'm surprised that none of the Doko themes that group did for the Rama Half OVAs, none of those songs and ending themes are on here. Because those are also some of my favorites out of uh, all the opening ending themes done for Rumiko Takahashi series. And actually even more surprising, I'm surprised there is not a single Rumiko uh I mean Yurusei Yatsura opening or ending in the top 10 so far. I mean, we don't know what the top three is, but... It doesn't leave a whole lot of room for a lot of them. I imagine the Lums Love Song has to be in the top three, but it's really disappointing, you know, that maybe Dancing Star or Uchu Watahenda didn't make the top ten. That would be very sad to see. But I'm 
Especially wondering where Alone Again naturally will place. Will that be in the top street? The second opening of Maison Akoku that was only used for one episode because they could only get the rights to that song by Gilbert O'Sullivan for one episode. I wonder when where that'll place. But that'd be funny to see in the top street. And man, I wonder if the first opening of Inuyasha will be in the top street. There's really so many different opening ending teams that... uh going to be very interesting what the top three actually is and uh, but i can't really fault any of the ones that have uh, gotten in because i like them but and when i just think about how many iconic songs and ending things and opening themes there are like man the selection passes is going to be really interesting because like there's so many ways i could see it going and uh, there were so many that i'm surprised didn't make the top 10 but for favorite Mukotaka Hashi characters we've got 30th place to 11th place revealed now of course just like with the series of songs poll, like these are interim results, so the final results could change. We might see some characters move up or down. But so far, uh, here's what 30th to 11th place have been revealed to us are. We've got Ben Tan from Yurose Yatsura at 30th place, Rin from Inuyasha at 29th, Shitaro Mendo from Yurose Yatsura at 28th, Bankotsu from Inuyasha at 27th, Yotsuya from Maison Koku at 26th, Koga from Inuyasha at 25th, Jokotsu from Inuyasha at 24th, Sakura from Rene at 23rd, Kirara from Inuyasha at 22nd, Ryanosuke Fujinami from Yurose Yatsura at 21st, Ron from Yurose Yatsura at 28th, Godai from Maison Nakoko at 19th, Kagura from Inuyasha at 18th, Rene from Rene at 17th, Magane from Yurusayatsu at 16th, which, I mean, this poll is technically based on the anime versions of uh, Rumiko Takashi series, so Megane is a valid choice for this list, even though technically he's not a Rumiko Takashi character per se, he's more like a Mamoru Oshii OC that he kind of imposed on Yurusayatsu, but I do like Megane, so uh, very happy to see him in the top 20, actually. Uh, Moroku from Inuyasha is top 15. Ukiya from Rama is 14. Sango Inuyasha is 13th. Artaro from Yurusayatsu is 12th and 11th. Akane just barely misses the top 10 out of 11th place, so yeah. You know, all these are really great characters, so I am pretty, uh, you know, happy to see most of these guys make the, the top 30. I mean, I guess in terms of omissions, I'd have to wait to see the top 10 to see, like, who gets left off. I think it's kind of funny. Kirara is at number 22nd. You know, she's just like a fox creature. Like, cause she doesn't have any speaking roles, but, you know, she's a cool mascot character. Jakotsu being number 24 over... Koga is actually pretty interesting you know I wonder if he is going to be the most popular of the band of seven since I don't see Benkotsu here in the top 30 so I wonder if is Benkotsu in the top 10 or did he miss the top 30 and Jakotsu is actually more popular but you know Jakotsu was definitely my favorite of the band of seven in Yasha so very happy to see him make this list. Also happy to see Kagura placed in the top 20 as one of my favorite Inuyasha characters. And very happy at the placements of Ron and uh, Rinosuke as some of my favorite characters from Yurose Atsura. I wonder if Shinobu from Yurose Atsura will be in the top 10 or if she's also missed the top 30. But, you know, I love Shinobu too, even though she's such a kind of an underrated and underutilized character in the series. She kind of has the most pronounced and uh moving character arc in terms of how she changed from the beginning to the end of the series 
And it is a little surprising, I guess, that Akane, again, missed the top 10. But, you know, Akane and Ataru both, you know, were just barely, barely outside it. So still pretty popular. Megany, again, a anime original, really character created by Mamoroshi. His OC, you know, makes this list pretty high, but he's also incredibly funny, so it makes sense. But it is funny that he beats out the protagonists of Rumiko Takahashi's other series, like Renee and Godai. So that is kind of amusing. Uh, and I imagine that we won't see seeing any other Renee characters in the top 10 if Renee and Sakura just make this top 30 here. Because I can't imagine, like, other characters from Renee are going to be more popular than the like, the lead protagonist of, of the series. And, well, yeah, I forgot. Bengotsu is here. He, uh, I don't know why I missed that before. But yes, Bengotsu was here in 27th place. So, yeah, Jikotsu did beat him. That's the most popular member of the Band of Seven. So, yeah, pretty cool. Uh, good for Jikotsu there. I don't see any other members of the Band of Seven making the top 30. But, yeah, Jikotsu Bengotsu makes sense. Uh, Oyuki. Benton's here at number 30, but Oyuki from Yurinsei Hotstrack. You know, those two are kind of like a power duo like really all four members of lum's old gang lum herself and then ron and ben ten and yuki you know i love all of them so i wonder if yuki made the top 10 or she missed the top 30 but you know nice to see ben ten there so i guess if i had to make a prediction of uh what the top 10 characters are and you know i think this is going to be easier to do than predict what the top three songs are because you know there's just so many popular songs i, I don't even know what would be in the top three but with this top 10 i feel pretty confident on what i think the list will be so number one i think lum is going to win out as the most popular character then i think she'll be followed by kyoko at number two girl type rama at number three specifically girl type because they've split rama into girl type rama and boy type rama Ford, I think, will be Inuyasha. I think Sashomaru will be behind him. Number five. Then I think Kagome. Then Boy Type Rama. Then Ryoga. Then Shampoo. If not in that ex exact order, I think those nine characters for sure will be in the top ten. And then I was trying to think of, like, what would be that tenth character that would break the top ten. I wasn't super confident of, like, who else could make it besides those nine. Like, some people I saw on Twitter were speculating Sakura from Yurisei Astra being in the top 10, but I just don't see Sakura being that popular. Like, I don't see her being more popular than Ryanosuke, and Ryanosuke didn't even crack the top 20, so I don't think she'll make the top 10. I think that the most major character that I don't see in the top 30 of all of Rumi series is Kikyo. And I'm not super confident about Kikyo still, even though she's such a major character, because I know that Kikyo was actually quite unpopular with certain readers back when Inuyasha was running. Like, there's a famous story Takashi related in an interview where readers wrote to her, one girl specifically wrote to her, saying, I want you to kill Kikyo, I hate her so much. So... I don't know, like, do people still hate Kikyo, or is she really popular? You know, I think she has a great character arc. I think that she's very compelling. I would like to see her in the top 10. Not super confident, but she'd be my choice to round up the top 10. But there's so many other characters that haven't appeared on this list yet. Like, Nabiki Tendo isn't on here. Uh, Pantios Taro isn't on here. So, even beyond them, Akemi from Koku isn't on here. 
And there are just so many other characters. Like, again, between all five of her major series, there are literally hundreds. So it'll be interesting to see what the top ten results will be. I think I'm confident about, what, nine of those characters in top ten will be. But we will see what the final results will look like. Because, you know, these, again, are interim results. They might shift when the final results come out. So some characters might be higher or lower. So we will see about that. But November 16th is when the results are going to be revealed for not only this favorite characters and favorite songs categories, but also favorite anime episodes and favorite series. So yeah, I'm looking forward to the complete results of that. And, you know, if uh, I have time if i wake up in time ac uh who is like my co-host on lum squad you know we're doing a gonna be doing a special live watch of the nhk special broadcast on saturday morning so if i get up early for that you know i'd love to join them and react to the results live and then of course report on back to you guys uh in the next episode about what the final results were and my reactions to them as they were revealed but, you know, me being a huge Mugoto Hakashi fan, I had to talk about this and, like, you know, my thoughts on who's made it so far and who could make it. So, really exciting stuff for me as a Takashi fan, and I'm curious to see how the final results will turn out. But we have one final poll to talk about, because uh, there is a new MHA popularity poll that's coming out, and you can vote on it now. The link we'll put in the description, and... A day after they initially tweeted out, uh, Shonen Jump Twitter actually tweeted that they've already had like 57,000 responses. So they're going to get a lot of results for this poll, it seems. So yeah, fill it out. And I imagine they'll get even more responses to this poll, like from international readers than they will in Japan even. So it's really, really exciting. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I So I wonder if this is like, like an actual official like manga popularity poll that they're like getting international votes for if they're or if this is just something viz is running on their own i think this is another one of the viz polls that they're doing for you know the english readers like there's going to be the japanese poll for japanese shonen jump readers and then this is going to be like the here's what the western fans think like they've done with their previous uh polls mm-hmm. so i guess this would be like the sixth popularity poll my hero academia has had I believe so. I believe they've been doing like one of these every year. Th- that's like, that's a lot of polls for like one jump series. I can't think of too many others that have like that many. Maybe maybe One Piece. Yeah, but One Piece has only had that many over like a longer period of time. So, MHA has been getting a lot of them very quickly and very regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I voted for Aizawa this time around because I've just been in an, in an Aizawa mood. Uh, yeah, I mean, especially reading MHA Vigilantes recently, where you get his backstory and really go into depth about what makes him tick as a character. Like, Aizawa has definitely become a really, really interesting character even more after reading, like, the recent arc in Vigilantes. But, yeah, I mean, there's it was hard to choose. I think I went with my gut and chose a character that I always get excited to see do stuff and get character development. So I chose Yayo Rosu. Okay, that's a good choice. Yeah, but, you know, it was a pretty tough choice because, you know, I was thinking, should I go with Shigaraki? Because, like, he had some big stuff happen. Should I go with Hawks? Because he's been a really fascinating character to follow. Should I go with All Might for a character that consistently, you know, gives you the feels and is a character that you, you really 
really love, you know. There's a lot of good characters. Heck, given Endeavor, I briefly was considering. You know, he's got a lot of character development recently. You know, should I throw him a bone? But, you know, I ultimately went with the character that, you know, I like. Maybe hasn't had the most presence in the series recently. But, you know, enjoy. But there's so many great characters in MHA. So I'm going to be very curious to see what the results will look like. Yeah, I was I was kind of thinking between like Aizawa, Gentle Criminal, because he definitely had a an option on this list, uh, and All Might. I really wanted the vote for Midoriya because it, it, the poor the poor guy hasn't even placed first once. I don't think. Yeah, I think Bakugo has beat him every time. So so I really wanted to help him out there, but also at the same time, it's like Midoriya really hasn't had a lot to do lately. No, not this year especially. Yeah, it's it's been kind of a it, it's it's been in terms of good Midoriya content. There's been a drought. I'm just gonna say that. And even with the recent stuff in the manga, I feel like he's being outshined by Endeavor and even Bakugo in some respects. Even though he has been getting development recently, so mm-hmm. I'm I'm hoping Horikoshi finds a way to maybe fix that next year but i also got to give him credit it it, can, it cannot be easy trying to trying to write a series with this many characters and trying to give them equal amount of screen time so you know there's that mm-hmm. uh, but yeah definitely go vote in that poll we'll have a link in the show notes but now we are finally done with news oh my god we're finally done yeah oh. but man it took us almost three hours this is why we need to cover news more regularly <laughs> we literally left it for a month it left us with four pages of news and it took us a long time to get through them yeah this was our own fault um so um we i think we still got enough time to talk about our new manga plus starts not indeed we do so we should start with tis time for torture Tis time for tis time for torture, princess. <laughs> princess, tis time for torture. Um, so I guess I could take torture time, princess. <laughs> Please, sir, may I have some more torture? Um, so, uh, just to talk about this series real quick. This was a new series that popped up on Manga Plus, but I think has been it's been running for a couple months on Jump Plus. I think. Yeah, it came out this year. Um, so ba- basically, it's a comedy manga. Um, written by Robinson Haruhara and drawn by uh, Hirake. And um, like the very basic premise of this series is that you have a princess. She is basically kept in captivity and she is constantly, quote unquote, tortured uh, by many different tortures that aren't actually torture. And that's that's kind of the basic joke. Like, I believe in the first chapter, her uh, her captor basically tortures her by eating a big, delicious piece of fluffy bread. Yeah, it's torture in the sense that the princess has a lot of urges and they're denying her tasty foods or fun things to do. Yeah, and again, that's kind of like the basic formula for the series, like... The, the princess will be tortured, quote-unquote, by a non-torture. They'll kind of set up the next torture at the end of the chapter, and it kind of goes from there. Yeah. Every chapter ends with torture reporting to the demon lord, and for some reason or another, the information that she's gathered is useless to the demon lord, either because the information is actually useless, like the princess's mother's bra size, <laughs> or... The information is useful, but the Demon King has other plans, like 
his daughter's sports festival is on the Saturday when security around the castle is light. So he chooses his daughter over invading the the kingdom. Mm -hmm. I don't want to I want to try to not like talk about like every joke. But I do want to mention one that I thought was really good in terms of like the Demon Lord's plans or whatever. Um, I think I read about 15 chapters of this. I didn't get to read all of it, but I read a good chunk. Um, and uh, I think my favorite one was, um, oh, what was it? He he finds out info about like what day uh, the princess's castle is like the least guarded. And it turns out to be a Sunday. And the Demon Lord is basically like, that's the day I watch cartoons. And that's it. <laughs> I thought I actually thought that was that was pretty good because it's like I totally feel that like this is this is this is my day to watch my shows like I'm not doing anything that day. Well, the Demon Lord is either very lazy on a day where, you know, he could actually invade the kingdom or like he's being a very doting father. And so he cancels any invasion plans to spend time with his daughter. Mm hmm. Which, you know, I think the latter is. Is, is cute and understandable. Um, yeah, so I think gen in general, I I had seen this, I, I had seen people talk about the series on Twitter and, um, you know, I was pretty interested in it and I started reading it and um, I have this really weird relationship with gag manga, as I'm sure we've explored on the show before, where it's like, I'm, I'm very particular, or I guess, not particular, I, I don't know, maybe I'm kind of picky about my gag manga because... Gagabanga for me, depending on the jokes, like, uh, I guess a good example, uh, I remember when I got into, uh, what's it called? Uh, haven't you heard I'm Sakamoto? Cause I had heard so many people talk about it and how funny it was. And I was really looking forward to reading it to the point where when I started reading it, it really felt like, oh, this is just kind of the same joke a lot, which there, I mean, you know, uh, generally, I, I like that series, and I still thought like it had funny jokes in it. But I have a really hard time getting in the series where it's like most of the time it's just kind of one joke. Um, though with Torture Princess in particular, at, at first I was like, okay, this is kind of cute or whatever. Like I like the art, and it's it's very easy to read. Like I think I've read so much of this more than like the other. Uh, I mean, one, because one of them is only one chapter. The other has literally 47 chapters up at the time of this recording. Uh, but I think the reason I read this one, I ended up reading this one more is because like, it's such an easy read for me just to, to kind of like, like if I'm at work or something and I'm, you know, I have a little downtime, I just kind of like read a chapter. They're really short. They're like 11 to 12 pages max, maybe like it's, yeah, it was, it was for someone who takes their time to read manga. Like th this was quick, even for me. But in general, yeah, like, at first I was like, I really hope the jokes don't always involve food, because I was like, oh, maybe, maybe that might get a little old. But but I will give it credit. Uh, I do think that, like, once you read more of the series and you get introduced to more of the side characters, like, there's a little more variety in, like, the different tortures that the that they put the princess through. Like, uh, I think my favorite chapter that I read was the one with uh, with the little, like, dog fox girl, whatever her name was. Um, mm. who was really into animals. She she brings in this giant wolf, this giant man-eating wolf that could just kill the princess. But her, basically her torture is like trying to brag about like how soft its paws are, <laughs> which does not work on the princess. And I think those are some of my favorite jokes are when the tortures just completely backfire and they don't work. Like, I think I find those funnier than 
than than when they do work. And then it gets to the point where, like, she basically turns the princess on to liking animal paws and convinces her, like, how how cute and fun they are or whatever. And then and then she invites her over to a to to a to like a it's like an animal pajama party sleepover thing. And I thought that was actually kind of cute. Um, that was probably my favorite chapter uh, in terms of how cute and how funny I thought the payoff for that joke was. But uh, something really interesting about the series. I don't know if you know about this, Lum, but uh I'm trying to look this up here. So I found this interesting in that uh, Robinson Haruhara in particular um, is also the author of uh, of another comedy that I really enjoy called Senyu. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's basically, I haven't read the manga for it, but I've seen the anime for it. The anime is so funny. It uh, It's basically this short form anime series. It's like I think each episode is like five minutes and like like the like the grab for that series is basically like it, like everything is like completely completely sped up they have to like fit as much story as they can in like these 5 minute chunks so like all the jokes are like really quick and fast and like really hit you out of nowhere um uh, or at least that's the that's kind of the style they went for that anime adaptation and after i saw this credit i was like I was like, man, I really hope I this seems like the kind of thing that that could get an anime at some point. And if it does get an anime, I don't know if they would really make the jokes as quick and fast as like in Sengyu, but like I could see this being like a really nice cute uh bite-sized anime kind of thing. Like I could see this being something I would like to watch week to week. But but I I've, I've been like going a mile a minute here. What what did you think of it? I enjoy it a lot. Uh premise is very formulaic. But again, they put enough twists on it every time where it's very enjoyable. If you're a fan of Food Wars, yes, there are a lot of food-based chapters where they're discussing how delicious food is and the princess will have fantasies. I mean, but she'll have like uh, like these imaginative fantasies to other situations too. And again, they do introduce different types of tortures. Like there are the twins who she becomes friends with. And so the tortures with them usually involve her being denied playing with them. There was, of course, the animal girl where the tortures usually involve, like she has these cute animals. Oftentimes the princess will not find the animals cute, but eventually she turns around. There's the girl, the giant girl in the back where the torture is just that she kind of gets a complex about being around like this uh, bodacious person or she, she, this person makes her try these like things she's never done before, like being in a hot spring or a steam bat and that she ends up being, uh, you know, eventually enjoying. There's Mao Mao, the hell horde's daughter who, uh, she's cute. She's cute, and the princess can't resist how cute she is, so she ends up helping her out with the tortures and just giving her information anyway, and they just have genuinely sincere and pure playdates. And usually, the results of those chapters, whenever Mao Mao ends up getting information, like, the Hell Lord will usually find an excuse not to actually go forward with it, because he's just proud of his daughter. Like, the first time, literally, he gets useful information, but he doesn't go forward with it he just puts the paper up on as well because this is a this is a trophy of my daughter's first successful torture so i'm just gonna be, be proud of it hang it up on my wall like you would like your first dollar you make it a job mm-hmm. basically yeah and so the hell lord is also really fun there are chapters that don't have torture which just involve like the hell lord just having fun or 
Like there's one chapter where he gets torture after torture him to like prove that she's still up to snuff and she basically tortures him by pouring beer and making it fuzzy and irresistible to him. There's another chapter where he has a play date with Mau Mau and just the entire chapter is just him having a play date with his daughter and doing fun things with her. And It's very wholesome. Yeah, what's very nice and appealing about the series is that pretty much almost immediately the princess basically just becomes friends with these people. The torture just becomes an excuse for them to hang out. And then the princess becomes such a friend of these people, like she does end up like helping them give advice just out of her own free will without even needing the torture because she just likes these guys and doesn't want to get them into trouble. Like there's this one particular arc where after a torture, you know, they take the princess to the beach as a reward, but the information isn't good enough, so Torturer has to devise another torture, and she's troubled at this because she promised the princess that she'd get to enjoy the beach, and the princess notices this, that Torturer, you know, is being troubled, so she helps her torture her, and she gives her, like, a kind of a speech, you know, to lift her spirits, and so, you know... She gives her information and they all have fun at the beach together as friends, basically. And so there's a lot of fun stuff like that where it's just, you know, I like the relationship between the the princess and the other characters and how friendly and nice everyone is to each other. And these tortures are just, again, these mundane things. And it's really mostly about denying the princess fun or tasty things. And eventually they they give it to her. So she ends up being able to enjoy herself. And another layer that makes a lot of that satisfying is that the princess's childhood was very strict and she was raised to be a warrior from a young age and not have a lot of these luxuries. So a lot of this stuff, a lot of these foods, like she ends up getting to try for the first time or she gets to have something she doesn't get to enjoy often. You get a sense that she didn't really have a lot of friends when she was a kid. So just being able to hang out with people and have fun with them is also a lot of fun for her. So, And another really nice moment in a recent chapter is like they have to play like this trial of fear with like some old enemies of the princess. But they ended up abandoning it because, again, one of the twins is sick. And so the princess just gives the information immediately so she can go and visit you know, her friend while she's sick. And, like, everyone goes to visit her and just uh, make sure she's taken care of well. And it's, well, again, really nice and really kind people, you know, doing, you know, fun things with each other. So I like that the series is generally very pleasant and it's, you know, more focused on characters having fun, ultimately. And it just makes it a nice read. And, of course, because a lot of the chapters you know, do follow a similar structure and formula to them. It's not really a series I would recommend binge reading, but it comes out once every two weeks. And I think like a 13 page chapter coming out once every two weeks is, you know, a good enough time period to give you a break between chapters to enjoy uh, new stories and, you know, just saying, hey, you know, that was a lot of fun. Or rather, uh, they come. it comes out once a week, but yeah, you know. That's still, like, enough time to enjoy, like, a new 13-page chapter every week. Yeah, this is the kind of series where I don't know. I mean, maybe I'd read a full volume of it if I just needed to, like, pass the time or whatever. But I wouldn't read, like, 30 chapters of it in a row. Let's just put it that way. But, like, I'd read, like, a handful or whatever just to kind of pass the time and be like, 
that was fun. Yeah, I think it's best read by the chapter rather than in larger chunks. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, in general, I wasn't sure how, how I was going to feel about this series, but I actually think I came out, I came out of this a, a bit more positive than I was expecting. So yeah, I, I'd be, I'd be up for keeping up with this actually. Yeah, I have been ever since I caught up with it and I think I will continue to do so because, it, you know, once a week, it's a very quick read and it always kind of leaves you in a good mood because the endings are always really nice and optimistic, or when they end with the demon lord spouting whatever inane reason he has for not going through with the torture. That's also very fun. Mm-hmm. All right, but uh, I think we should move on to our next manga plus start, and that is East Into the Night by uh, Angyaman, in, in all capital letters. Um, Lam, would you like to explain what the premise of this series is so far? It takes place in a post-apocalyptic world, it seems, that is completely covered by night. Like, everything is covered in a pitch-black night. And we have these characters who are kind of traversing in caves. Uh, Animals have kind of evolved in interesting ways. Like, a lot of them have become bigger, or they develop features that allow them to kind of maneuver in the dark and find sustenance. Like, very early on, you see, like, these duck-like creatures or goose-like creatures that have, like, these larger bottom bills that are meant to, like, dig through the ground to find food. And you've kind of seen their eyes have kind of, like, shrunk into being nothing. You have these larger snake creatures called Armacon does that attack them uh they also these large snake like creatures also have arms too oh yeah but uh you know basically um history seems to have been completely lost so any technology from the past is regarded as relics and so our main characters have their own form of relics like they have like these laser gun things they have like you know just simple like uh electronics that make lights like this like the main character has like a diamond crystal that lights up that they don't really know what it does but it it lights things up so and it's a very different kind of light than the light of fire and basically this traveler who seeks to find the end of the night you know to kind of put an end to night to bring back like the sunlight in the morning you know, he's looking for all these different relics and he's, you know, trying to like travel the world to kind of discover a way to to put an end to night. This character's name is Anag and he meets like Tio, who is this young girl who's been living in the cave with her grandpa, adopted grandpa, who kind of discovered her as a baby with uh, the laser gun relic as a kid and her adopted family and the grandpa kind of taught her a lot of skills she needed to know to kind of survive and he's kind of bedridden so she kind of goes out on her own you know and hunting and stuff eventually they get into a situation with her kind of jealous uh foster brother like going off on his own being attacked by an armaconda where they fight it off and upon seeing how well uh she uses the relic like the grandfather kind of tells her to kind of leave like he makes up the excuse that oh because she broke the rule of never using relics that she has to leave but actually anag tapes the conversation that he actually had with uh him later that really the reason is so because she would be you know she'd have more success uh she'd be better off on her own you know to find like uh freedom and like who she really is like her own family where what happened to them and you know go off on her own path in life so you know it's kind of a very moving 
actual reason why he told her to leave with a nog. But basically the two are going and traveling together to find the end to night, you know, using relics and searching for relics. And so they're going through this cave on this journey to find morning. So, yeah, it's a, I think the most striking thing about this manga is like this first chapter, at the very least, is all in full color. And the way that they light up the panels, like they really take into account that there's no natural light in this world. So there's a lot of attention placed onto where the light source is and then what the color of the light source would be. In a world without natural light, you obviously wouldn't get like the full spectrum of colors that you normally would. So when it's like at the beginning and you just have an his lamp, like it's a lot of very red toned glows, light that's coming out from the relics have like these very light greenish blue colors. And I really appreciate the attention to detail in the coloring and where the light source be and what things would look like if they were using just artificial light to kind of light up characters and i thought the color work was superbly well done and uh you know really brought a sense of atmosphere and really communicate a great idea of what this world is like in a way that i really really thought was striking i also think the action uh, scenes are also really cool it's, you know especially the fight with the armacondas like they are very imposing intimidating monsters and i think there are great sequences uh in the combat with them that communicate their ferocity and also the uh ferocity of the characters fighting against them the two-page spread where Ana cuts off the armacondas arms while tio blasts through its heart with her laser gun is really cool and in general i thought that the story has a lot of promise it's a very interesting uh concept for this world and uh, you know it has a very pretty good initial like emotional hook to it about you know tio being giving a send off by her adopted grandfather to kind of go searching for who she really is i don't think anag himself is that interesting yet but you know he is he's a fine enough protagonist for uh tio to bounce off of so you know i think the two together could develop in a you know as in characters in interesting ways as they go on this journey but really it's more about the world and like what happened to make this world of eternal darkness will they be able to find mourning what will that entail how do they bring back mourning in this world without light like how do they bring back the light that's an interesting question so it's got a really good hook to it and it's a story i'm definitely curious to read more of and see where it goes mm-hmm. yeah i pretty much agree with all that uh i'm hoping that the series is all actual full color because i think i think the way that color is used in the, in the series in a world where you don't have any like real natural light like i think i think is a good way to kind of go about to depict that visually i think i think i think yeah, this I, I think this this kind of thing would be kind of hard to depict in black and white yeah i think you really get a full sense of what this role is like if you have color to kind of really illuminate the contrast between what is in darkness and then what is being lit up by these characters the lights that these characters have made themselves, the artificial lights, mm-hmm. and then how that changes depending on what the light source is. Like, it feels like color is a really essential part of this premise and the way the story is told. Mm-hmm. I, I can't wait for the eventual, like, two-page spread of light being brought back to this world and then just 
everything is super colorful. <laughs> uh, yeah, that'll be really, really cool. Yeah. When the series gets to that point. Yeah. Um, in general, yeah, I think um, this along with the, the next thing we're going to talk about in a little bit, uh, I think has... I just I, I love a I love a series uh where the world is interesting and you wanna like like you you don't know that much about it, but like you're interested enough in it to want to know more about it. Like I think that's why I like series like uh that's why I, that's part of the reason why I loved Promise Neverland in the beginning, and that's a big reason why why I even have any kind of interest in Attack on Titan, honestly. Like I still I still find those worlds really interesting despite how I feel about the characters, good or bad. But uh, yeah, and, you know, I, I think this series will be the same kind of thing for me. Like, the whole time I was reading this, I was legitimately wondering, like, are they trapped, like, underground? Is this, like, an underground cave? Or maybe or, or maybe a, a big bonkers theory, like, maybe the sun actually did go out. I don't know. Like, I don't know. There's so much I don't know about this world, and I want to know, and I want to find out about it. And again, that's a big reason why I think I'm... Uh, uh, I mean, unless you have anything else you want to say about this, I think it's a big reason why I, I love this next series we're going to talk about here soon. Yeah, I think that East Into Night had a very strong first chapter that showed a lot of really cool potential for, you know, exploring like a very unique world. And I think that's definitely true of Vertical World, too. Like, it's a very unique premise and world that is that is really really what makes me interested to follow it and see like how it continues to be explored even more so than the characters themselves Mm -hmm. um so here lum what what is vertical world about vertical world kind of starts off a little bit like cast in the sky because a girl falls from the sky and a guy dives in after her as they continue to fall down in this endless tower, he eventually meets a robot uh, scientist called Kelvin, who's also been kind of studying this vertical world for a long time. He's been following down this vertical world for 500 years. Eventually, they catch up to the girl using their jetpacks, and they find out her name is Omega, and she is meant to be the fallen priestess. Uh, she was basically sacrificed perhaps thousands of years ago uh, to the tower for some unknown purpose, like supposedly, you know, to bring prosperity to like her people or what whatnot. But there seems to be a deeper conspiracy behind this as we continue to read on the series and we get the revelation that people are not supposed to come into contact with this girl. Like there's some reason why she must continue to fall, it seems. Because there are guards on the outside of this vertical tower that have been instructed to kill anyone who comes in contact with her. So the outside of this tower, we basically find that that it's floating in the air pretty much. And there are these giant eyeball creatures that are on the outside of the tower. And basically, they get separate from Omega, and so they're now continuing to chase after and catch up to her they kind of find the secret of what this tower is what lies at the bottom like who made this what was it made for and why are they there even so it's a very interesting premise and that's like again really really uh compelling and kind of really uh 
keeps driving you to discover like what's the full truth behind these mysteries and like continue reading reading i really love the format of the series much true to its name it's a manga that's meant to be read vertically it's very much meant to be read as you scroll down through it the story is very much you don't flip pages uh left to right you scroll down from top to bottom and that's how the story is told and that's just perfect considering this premise it is definitely a manga made with how people read manga on their cell phones in mind and uh, the a format that can really really best be enjoyed by reading manga on your phones is like if you just scroll down top to bottom and this is a story that's just perfect in this format and there are other manga on manga plus that also follow this kind of format like Dreamcam. Uh, where you read it top to bottom. But this is like, I think, the perfect marriage between premise and storytelling, I think. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's really, really interesting. And again, the world building of it continues to unfold in an interesting way as they continue to poke questions like, why is this tower here? Who made it? What is it made for? As people continue to question these things and our main characters continue to gather more allies. So it's uh, really fun, really unique. And there's 43 chapters, well, even 47 chapters out now. Like uh, they uploaded it just out of the blue very suddenly, very recently to Manga Plus. But I think both of us made it only a couple chapters in, like 10 or so chapters. Yeah. But uh, I think, you know, I I think we're both keen to read more. Uh, I certainly am. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's just... Just it also has some really uh nice uh heartfelt moments, I think, you know, or like really interesting stories that have like a kind of a good like emotional ending. Like the story that I kinda left off on is like this gatekeeper who has been tasked to guard this checkpoint and kill anyone who has con come into contact with Omega. He doesn't know why, but those are the rules that he has been taught and that he believes he must uphold. And so he tries to kill uh the main protagonist. Uh, but eventually, you know, they manage to take out his weapon and then they throw his book of rules away and they kind of talk to him and convince him that he should, you know, just liberate himself from following these rules blindly and kind of just enjoy life finally. And, you know, uh, upon doing that, like, he finally gets to be reunited with a dove again which he was denied as a kid because it was against the rules and it kind of has a happy ending for him. So I like that kind of storytelling. There's these small stories within the story that's really, that make it very uh, compelling. It adds to the world and also adds some heart to it. So uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And it's a really cool new addition, I think, to Manga Plus. Oh, geez. Um, th- this might be huge praise, but I got to be honest there really hasn't been a series since Act Age where I started it and I'm just like, I need more of this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but man, yeah, like, except in this case, the the backlog is all available and I'm, I gotta be honest, after we're done recording today, I, I'm very tempted to just read through the, <laughs> read through the rest of it today. Uh, Cause man, I'm really enjoying this. Um, I just, it's really hard for me to like express why I like it and not just gush about it. Um, I was really thinking like how best to describe it to people who haven't read it yet. And I think, cause, cause there are so many elements to the series that remind me of a lot of different things. Like 
I like you like when I first started this I was like yes the, the, like the beginning feels very castle in the sky uh and how that movie started with uh uh with, with the girl falling from the sky and the boy catching her except this boy doesn't catch her um and actively falls after her but uh, uh what was it the best way I could describe the series is is like a combination of castle in the sky and made in the abyss drawn by one yeah the art is definitely a little sketchy at times, and uh, draftsmanship is not necessarily the most polished in terms of an anatomy and uh, consistency of the forms of characters. However, it is very clearly drawn, and the storytelling skills, the paneling, is very on point, so it's a very compelling read. And the art communicates what it needs to, both emotionally and in terms of understanding what is happening. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah, like, I, I compare I compare Ku Tanaka to one in that, yeah, like, like basically, it, uh, the this artist, I, I would put in the category of, yeah, their art is very rough looking, but like, you know, it's still a very readable comic. Like, like you understand what's going on on the page, or I guess on your phone in this instance, but, uh, but no, yeah, like... I just, it's it's just, it's so hard for me to, like, to to not keep going with this. Like, I don't know, I don't know, that like, the, again, like with, like with East, like, the vertical world is, it's just this world that, like, I want to know more about. Like, what is this tower, and what what's, what's going to be at the bottom of it, if there is a bottom of it? I'm, I was almost convinced at one point that there wasn't, considering that, Kelvin mentions that like he uh at the beginning when we first met him like he was he was falling for like 500 years or something and just for reference I I got curious I I looked up like how long it would take for you to fall from space to like the surface of the earth and apparently I, I forget exactly but uh, someone someone tested this out at one point and I think like altogether it took about 10 minutes for them to fall from space to the earth and then about four minutes in, I think they uh, they use their parachute to float down. But still, like apparently, it does not take that long to fall to the surface of the Earth. So it's like, with, with with that info in mind, it just makes me wonder, like, what is going on here? Like, why is there so much sky? Like, there, um, and uh, I I won't say too much about this because I think this is a little past where I, I got I got like maybe one or two chapters past where you read basically and. They do introduce the idea of like of like warping and wormholes. So I'm wonder mm. so I'm wondering if like maybe that's part of the reason why we haven't really seen the bottom of wherever this is yet. Like maybe a, a lot of that kind of thing is maybe in play and we just don't understand how yet. But no, yeah, like I'm legitimately wondering like what this tower is, like like how how long like like, cause, cause we also get to a point where like, we get to, we kind of get to like the end of the tower, I guess. And it's not like, it's not like finished, but there's still like so much sky left that I'm just like, well, what's going on here? Like, is it not be, is it not, is it not finished being built? Like, I have so many questions and I'm getting the feeling that I'm going to get them answered because this series is really good about like, again, this really reminds me of the promise Neverland where it's like. You know, you know about as much of the world as the characters do, and you're learning along with the characters. And I think that makes series like these so much more enjoyable to read. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think needless to say, this was like my favorite out of the three uh, new Manga Plus 
uh, series that were uploaded recently. I think I would have to agree, even though I really enjoyed the other two series, and especially Torture Princes, I do really find it very charming and enjoyable. Rurka World is definitely the most interesting compelling of the three. And yeah, I think I will continue to binge the rest of it and see how the story unfolds, because I'm definitely really hooked. Mm-hmm. Like, personally, as far as, like, series that are exclusive, well, I guess this series isn't really exclusive to Manga Plus anymore, but, like, I guess in terms of, like, whatever new series we have gotten Simulpub this year, like, I would put this right under, um, I would put this right under Spy Family, uh, personally, just in terms of, like, how much I enjoy, uh, that series. Yeah. Though I would like to see a Spy Family Torture Princess crossover, because I think <laughs> those two series tonally fit very well together, and I want to see Anya interact with Mau Mau, because I think those two would become very good friends. <laughs> or or Anya trying to torture the princess. Oh, that'd be funny, too. <laughs> <laughs> and then Yoru actually tortures the princess for once, and everyone is horrified. <laughs> You you could you could have you could have Twilight trying to like teach Anya how to torture and she just does it completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! Now I now I really want this crossover. <laughs> it's gotta happen. Oh man. Um. But yeah, no. This was a this was a huge surprise. I did not expect to like this as much as I did. Um. But but yeah, like I said, the other like I like Torture Princess just fine, and then East. Um, unfortunately has the disadvantage of it only having one chapter out at the time of this recording. Yeah, it also has a very stilted translation, I must say. Like, the the script of it, it seems very straight, and uh, I think a lot of personality is kind of lost in the process. See, that's funny, because I felt the same way about Vertical World's translation at times. Like, it felt very stiff to me, personally, but I, I could also kind of see that with East, too. Yeah, I think uh, I think this is a problem across a couple of Manga Plus series. Mm-hmm. But you know, like in in general, I feel I feel okay about it. But like, I think in terms of translations from Media Do in particular, like they they could use a bit of improvement. But you know, they're for for what we're getting, I think it's 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 fine. It's serviceable. But no, yeah, uh, definitely go read all of these series. All of these are available for free on Manga Plus. And uh, yeah, we will definitely leave links to all these series in the show notes. And uh, yeah. All right. So before we head out into the show, uh, Lum, I know you had some community shout outs to share with our listeners. Indeed, I do. First, I don't know if I have brought it up on this show before. I don't remember if I've done this as a community shout out before, but I really enjoyed the Nen Show, which is a podcast done by YouTubers Matt Wiz and Krasdorf, who specialize in shonen uh, manga video essays. And they do this manga podcast called Nen Show, where they go through uh, long-running shonen series arc by arc. And so they've done Bleach and Naruto and One Piece and Hiromashima's manga. And recently they've started working on Yoshihiro Takashi series, starting with Yu Yu Hakusho. And I really enjoy the Nen Show. They go on at length on each of these uh, podcasts. Like, a lot of these podcasts are over three hours long on just one arc. Not much different than our podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, at least we cover an entire series. <laughs> the, the, like, this is multiple episodes on a series, arc by arc, all three hours long. Fair, so. yeah. 
But yeah, you recently, you know, they've been doing Yuhak show and I found the discussion really interesting because they're coming to it from perspective of like getting into the anime late in life and then reading the manga for the first time in this case. So I thought that their uh, thoughts on the series have been very interesting. But in general, the Nen show, I found them rereading series and then kind of picking apart teams and then how the story progresses very illuminating like i think they've were surprised just as much as their listeners have been how much they actually enjoy the later parts of bleach and naruto upon reading through them through a critical lens and kind of dissecting what the intent of the author was and makes these stories work like what the author was trying to say so you know, it's kind of made, given me food for thought to think think of, like, the later parts of Naruto and Bleach, especially, like, in different uh, perspectives. But, you know, I especially really enjoyed their Yu Yu Hakusho episodes recently. The last one just came out uh, today at the time of this recording. So, I think next they'll be doing Hunter Hunter, which I'm also looking forward to listening to their thoughts on, so... Uh, hearing that they had positive thoughts on the endings of both Bleach and Naruto really make me want to, like, go back and reread through those series at some point. We're going to do episodes on those at some point. I just can't promise when. Yeah, you know, the Bleach episodes were really, really uh, interesting to listen to because they had not read the series at all or even watched the series at all. Like, that was their first time going through Bleach. And so going through it arc by arc, like, for the first time, you know, that was really interesting to me to see, like, what they responded to and, like, how they kind of dug into stuff that I didn't even think about, you know, and I was keeping up with the series for years week to week. And especially when it came to like the final stuff, like they had a lot more positive opinion on it. And like at the end of it, they were both like, you know, we both want to reread Bleach and pick it apart even more at some point. So that pocket series in particular, I would recommend like their Bleach episodes because, uh, you know, I think it would really kind of open a lot of people's mind to thinking about bleach and that story in a new perspective it definitely did to me but i also want to recommend uh some other articles here recently d uh from anime feminist finished her uh year-long journey to watch every episode of the pokemon anime which was a lot of fun to follow on twitter her treads especially all her tweets you know highlighting team rocket's accomplishments over the years but she wrote an article now on anime feminists kind of going into you know not only her uh feelings about the show and then you know going through it in its entirety 20 years later but also how Pokemon is such a special series for being so very inclusive and welcoming to both boys and girls, and also how the series had a great representation of uh, positive uh, gender traits like masculine and femininity in both male and female characters, that there would be a lot of respect placed on female characters with very driven goals and uh, who like the series focus on their character arcs and their stories of achieving accomplishments just as much as they would ashes. And also, you know, we would have characters like Brock and silent who, you know, were very masculine in some respects, but also very in touch with their feminine side and some of their core, you know, character traits, like stuff that they were good at and praised for, were like being really good at cooking and cleaning. And those were things that the series like always treated as a positive and never in a joking matter. 
And uh, the article really explores like how valuable that was, you know, to have a series that really would consistently smash the idea of gender norms and that there would be certain gendered characteristics and show like all people like embrace different uh, personality types and then really treat them with respect you know, consistently. And throughout the years, how Pokemon would continue to emphasize its female characters and their stories um, as it went on. So that was a really great article. You know, being a lifelong Pokemon fan myself, you know, I I wholeheartedly agree with every point she wrote about it. And it was a really, really great analysis and a tribute to, you know, one of the best aspects of the series. And I highly recommend it you give it a read but and uh finally my last uh community shout out for this episode is you know last week we actually recorded our Yu-Gi-Oh retrospective which was a ton of fun and then kind of coincidentally i ended up coming across this video by a youtuber negative legend that kind of went over something we kind of touched upon in that episode which is kind of the influence or the perspective Kazuki Takashi had while he was writing Yu-Gi-Oh! Like, what the, his philosophy was, and, like, what the story of Yu-Gi-Oh! was truly about underneath the card game aspects of it. And then how subsequent entries in the series kind of lost that in favor of focusing on everything in this world revolves around the card games, and the, the conflict being we're fighting with card games more so than the the personal conflict, really, that was the heart of the original Yu-Gi-Oh! and kind of the even deeper philosophical idea at the heart of uh, the original Yu-Gi-Oh! which was, like, coming to terms with that. And this video by Negative Legend, the absence of Takashi in Yu-Gi-Oh! I thought was, you know, a really good kind of exploration of what made the original Yu-Gi-Oh! really special and what makes the original still stand out in contrast to the sequels and spin-offs after it and uh, what really the heart of Yu-Gi-Oh! was. There's also a point in the video where he kind of makes a call for, like, what he would find interesting that if the Yu-Gi-Oh! spin-offs did, you know, to make, like, conflicts more personal uh, and make the card game, like, more relevant to those personal conflicts that I also thought was an interesting point, you know, even as someone who enjoys a lot of the spin-offs. So I thought this was a really, really cool video that uh, definitely touches on something that people don't often talk about when talking about, like, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh!, but... You know, yeah, it's going to be still a, a little while yet before our Yu-Gi-Oh! retrospective comes out on our feed. But in the meantime, I would recommend this video uh, by Negative Legend. So links to all this stuff in the description. And I highly recommend all of them. Mm-hmm. I've seen that video. I, I thought it was actually pretty interesting. Um, all right. But uh, I think that finally about does it for this way longer than I originally thought was going to be episode. Uh, but you know what? I've re- I've I've... I have resigned myself. I kind of knew this was going to happen. But whatever, you know what? Um, it was a good episode, and we had we had some good discussions. So, it's fine. All right, but it, it was still a good episode, though. I, ho- I hope everybody really enjoyed this one. We talked about a lot of really great news stories and some even better Manga Plus starts. Definitely going to keep going with that. Um, but I think we should just... I think we should just end the show there. Um, actually, real quick, before we even end, one more thing. Um, stay tuned... For the next episode, because I think as far as we have planned, hopefully the week after this episode comes out, we will finally come out with our episode covering Beastars by Paru Itagaki. 
Uh, and who are we going to have on that episode, Lum? We're going to have the crew of the Manga Machinations, who have consistently been praising Beastars for over two and a half years now on their podcast, and which is where I first kind of learned about Beastars and became very interested in the series. And so we reached out to them to come on the show, and uh, we were joined by Darfox8 and Dakazu and Morgana, and we had a great chat about the first two volumes of Beastars, which was pretty spoiler-free. We touched upon some hints of things that might come in future volumes, but really we focused on how Paru Degaki kind of has established this world and how she has used it to explore the, the core teams of the series. And so we had a really, really comprehensive and great discussion uh, just based on the content of the first two volumes that I'm really excited for you guys to listen to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, e- even though we only talked about those first two volumes, like, yeah, I was I was going to say it was still it was still a pretty big discussion where we talked about a lot of different facets of the world of Beastars and it actually turned out pretty interesting. I can't wait for people to listen to that. But uh, yeah, I think that's that's about it. I don't really have anything else but to plug our stuff. So Lum, where can the people find you? You can find me at Lum Ramayasha on Twitter and Lum Ramayasha on a variety of places like Animation Revelation and Analyst. Wherever there's a Lum Ramayasha, that's where you can find me. You can also read my reviews on all-comic.com. We've got a lot of manga reviews coming to you guys soon. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And, of course, new episodes of Manga Matters at Movies and hashtag Lum Squad coming your way. Again, we need to kind of need to keep exposing the Ghibli conspiracy. So uh, we're doing important work in that respect. And I highly encourage you to listen and educate yourself so you don't get manipulated by Miyazaki any further. I wish you luck on that, Lum. But uh, yeah, I guess uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter. I'm Colton. You can find me at SniperKing323. I host a lot of other podcasts and produce a lot of other podcasts, which you can find links to over at coltoncorner.wordpress.com is my personal blog, where I have a page dedicated to all the podcasts that I currently do, such as this show, Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast, though it's on a hiatus, uh, One Podcast Prevails, Poltergeist Report, uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, go uh, go check out my stuff there. Uh, but if you want more Manga Mavericks, you can find every episode first over at all-comic.com, unless you are a subscriber to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Manga Mavericks. We mentioned that at the top of the show. Um, but if you subscribe to our $2 tier, we actually forgot to mention, along with our eternal thanks and a shout out on the show, you basically get access to early editions of select podcasts, depending on uh, when we have those edited. If we happen to have some podcasts edited early, you will, uh, you'll you'll get access to those. And so, yeah, definitely subscribe to that tier, unless you're interested in our bonus podcasts, which we release at the end of the month, every month. Then you want to subscribe to our $5 tier. Again, uh, we mentioned at the top of the show, we are currently releasing a read-through of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 1, Phantom Blood, that I've recorded with uh, our good friend Grant the Thief over on Twitter. Um, again, the next episode of that will be coming out on November 30th. So if you have not subscribed to our Patreon, you should definitely do so and get ready to listen to the conclusion of that uh, of that read-through. All right, but uh, as for everything else, you can follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow Manga Mavericks in particular, you want to follow us on Twitter at Manga underscore Mavericks, 
or at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash mangamavericks, where we post different excerpts of the show, including news pieces, different reviews of whatever manga we talk about, even some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at youtube.com slash mangamavericks. Um, email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. What did you think about all the news pieces we covered in, on this show? Uh, what are your thoughts on the latest Manga Plus starts that we covered on the show as well? Um, what are you reading? What do you want us to cover on the show? Uh, email us anything about whatever manga you're reading, but really anything manga related or podcast related at mangamavericks at gmail.com, and we will read them on the show. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the visibility of our show and uh, really just uh, helps us grow in general. So please go do that if you so wish. Um, But that is going to do it for this very long episode of the podcast. And uh, yeah, this has been episode 103 of the Manga Mavericks podcast on all-comic.com. We will see you guys next time for episode 104. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.